Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hi everyone and welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And it still sounds weird. Oh, I know why. Because your mic's upside down. Alright, let's try that again. Sorry. Okay. I thought I sounded like I was talking from the end of a hallway. Mm. Alright, I'm just going to move it slightly away from myself now. Hi everyone and welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And Mary. Yes? Father? I'm going to make a concentrated effort this episode to speak more slowly. And enunciate more clearly. Why? Because listening to me in other episodes, I feel like I'm speaking at a million miles an hour. And maybe, maybe I am. See, I just started to did badly you, enunciate there. Maybe I am. Did you accidentally press 1.5 speed when you were re-listening <laughs> to it? Does that make you sound like a chipmunk? I don't think so. I think it just makes it faster. Oh. No, I don't think so. I think it was hmm. just me speaking in my normal, really fast speaking voice. One of the residents at work, mm-hmm. um, I had helped her set up there's an app that you can use to get audiobooks from your library for free uh, okay um and so i helped her get set up on that and she listened to a few and she was like this one he's speaking so fast i can barely understand him hmm. and i was like oh well, let me see and she somehow got it to 1.5 <laughs> speed and so i got it back down to normal and i was like there you go like, oh that's much better it's like yeah you're a godsend don't press any buttons <laughs> that's right don't touch this thing mm. uh no i think I, I am a quick, I'm a fast speaker at the best of times, hmm. but I think in my enthusiasm and in my desire to fit as much, much of the useless information I would like to convey during listening party, mm-hmm. I tend to even get, get even faster. Mm. And it feels like I, I'm listening to it and going, can anyone understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Plus our, our thick Canadian accents. That also is a real problem. Where we keep saying a boot. A boot. An oot. An oot. Yeah. Oot and a boot. Yeah. I wonder why, I guess I could turn off the sound of my computer. Sure could. I normally can't because I'm Skyping it with Ian, for instance. Mm. So if I, But you normally can when we are recording. When we are recording, I could, yes, turn it off. Mm-hmm. Or not. Not worry about it at all. Yeah, it seems, just seems more, to be working fine so far. It's more ambient so noise. How many, how many, I don't know how many episodes of podcasts you've recorded, but <laughs> exactly. it's been fine for all those. Every time you hear me get an email, take a drink. And believe me, the amount of emails I get, you'll be fine. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, this is the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party, the show where we go through a series of mixtapes that I made for Sneaky Dragon listeners many moons ago. They were kind enough to send me CDRs, and then I was equally kind enough to send back my particular taste in music at that time period. If I was making them now, I might do things differently, and that's something we've talked about uh, during some of our listens to changes that I would make. Um, and Last episode, both Mary and I, we haven't actually haven't heard from any listeners or, uh, from our last episode. I guess they were as disgusted as we were at the quality of that, uh, the end of that mixtape. I wouldn't say disgusted. Oh, we were both. We were I both. would just say it was a... Mary. It was B-sides. When we both together picked up the computer and threw it out the window, mm-hmm. I think that showed disgust. I mean... Also, it was on fire. Well, it was on fire. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes you just need to throw something. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean you're disgusted. That's true. Sometimes you just need to start throw something. Uh, so, yeah. So, um, I was, well, I wouldn't, let's not say disgusted. I was a little disappointed in the in the last mixtape. I thought that the it had a good start. And then I kind of, I couldn't seem to find a hook for the final side of it. And rather than like 
spend a month holding off sending it to someone, I, I just kind of rushed it out the door mm-hmm. in order to keep this kind of fake deadline I had in my mind. And so it was a little disappointing. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun if we imitated the very long break I took between finishing Pierce's mixtape last episode and the next listener's mixtape. And the reason I'm saying next listener is because I can't remember who gets the next mixtape. But I thought it'd be kind of fun to have a little break Mm -hmm. and we're going to do a top five episode. So I just just kind of randomly chose some of my top fives that I have sitting in my phone. I like to make little lists of songs. Mm-hmm. of top five songs so i thought i'd take some of those and then also as soon as i th- thought of doing this i immediately thought of four new subjects and i used all those so <laughs> okay. really we're only getting one no actually we're not getting any any new ones or any old ones they're all new ones for this episode i think oh really depending how many we fit in yeah because um for instance the first one is going to be top five i'm so mad at my record label songs yep and although one song kind of falls a little bit outside of that it's just someone who's sort of generally mad at record labels. But that's okay. I thought that kind of fit the theme anyway. But that just occurred to me because we were talking, I think last episode we were talking about Graham Parker uh, putting out an album that was kind of like a, what I said was sort of a career killer, a double album, this double live album in order to get out of his out of his contract with Mercury Records. Now, that was completely inaccurate, by the way. Merely my, my how I how I picture his career in my mind the reality is is that his next album after the parkerilla which was the name of the the double live album it was a double live album with three live sides and one side of of a kind of a, a collection of songs that had been left off of records and so and then with one remake a, a sort of a, a sort of a reggaefied remake of one of his songs of um uh, hey lord don't ask me no questions they hmm. they did like a kind of a reggaefied version of that and then a bunch of b-sides and then three three sides of live stuff, and that that would because it's a double album, it's considered as two albums. Oh, okay. And so that got him out of his out of his Mercury contract. Right. And to me, I always thought of that album as kind of like spelling spelling the death knell of his career, but it's not true because the next album he did was Squeezing Out Sparks, which is like the most acclaimed record of his career. Hmm. And then he actually had his like his most commercial period in the eighties. Now I think that most. Graham Parker fans would would admit would agree with me that his best albums are his early albums, Howl and Wind, Heat Treatment, and Squeezing Out Sparks, and Stick to Me to a degree. But and then the later stuff is kind of a a bit of a come down from that. Partly because he got rid of the the Rumor, okay, who were his backing band for a long time, a bunch of ex Brinsley Swartz players and other kind of pub rockers and stuff that came together behind him and all kind of changed, cut their hair short and became new waivers uh, for for the for the Rumor. And yeah, so but I, so it's kind of funny how your mind plays tricks with you, and you kind of create your own your own uh, what is it, narrative yeah. of someone's career sometimes, you know. So it's not wasn't exactly accurate, but I think artistically it was accurate. How does that sound? That he had one last great album in him, and then it kind of the eighties. I don't think anyone's like going crazy for eighties albums of Graham Parker. If you are, dear listener, let me know of ones that you really appreciate because I am a big fan of of the early Graham Parker stuff. I've just never really listened to the later stuff just because it's never really crossed my transom as something that I should I should listen. No one's no one's like sent an envelope envelope through the transom telling me yes you should listen to this. So let's um so Mary when I suggested this as an idea mm-hmm. were you were you thrilled at the idea of this or were you kinda like, oh boy. Well I was like, oh maybe it'll be a shorter episode. That would be nice. Oh okay. <laughs> but then you gave me uh an album with or a CD with 18 songs on it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. 
you know, we're going to not be talking about them as much, so I guess we can talk about 18 songs rather than our usual 11, 12, 13-ish. Yeah. And then a couple of days later, you gave me another CD with 18 songs on it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, is this for next week? And you said, no, we're talking about all of these this week. <laughs> I said, we're talking about 36 <laughs> songs this week. And you said, yep. <laughs> and I was like, 36. And you said, yes. And I was like, all right. So I listened to 36 songs yeah. and made notes about all of them. And then yesterday, dad was like, I don't think we're going to talk about all the songs. <laughs> also, yesterday, dad was like, I'm just going to. He's like, yeah, I'll just take, like, the morning. I'll just take, like, a few minutes, and I'll just do a little bit of research. I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, yeah, we should be able to record in the afternoon. I was like, oh, okay, that sounds good. And so even I went out in the morning because I wanted to uh, try to buy some shoes because mm. I had a gift card yeah. that I had from Christmas that I'd been saving to buy a specific pair of shoes. Yeah. And so we went out to try to buy these shoes, which I did end up buying yesterday. But um, – and then we got back at, right before lunch, and we had lunch, and I said, oh, Dad, how's, uh, how's researching going? Mm. And he sort of hid in the book he was reading, <laughs> like not started the research. And I was like, okay. And he was like, well, I'll just do like a little bit in the afternoon and maybe we can record. We'll, re- you know, we're, we'll record this afternoon. And I was like, okay, sounds good. Did not see him again until dinner time. And at that point he said, well, maybe we should record tomorrow. I'm, I'm pretty much done. I just have a little bit more. And he's like, then, you know, I'd like to be able to come in this evening and, you know, hang out with you guys. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. Did not see dad again for the rest of the day. Do not know what time, what time did you come inside last night, dad? I think around 11.30, maybe midnight. Probably midnight, because even I went to bed around midnight. Okay, mm, around midnight. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where you're like, I'm just going to do a little bit, and then it kind of started to like avalanche, you know, started to like, yeah. or snowball, yeah. like started getting bigger and bigger. And as mm-hmm. I went along, like what started as kind of quick brief notes yeah. became more and more elaborate. Well, yeah, because that's what I said to Evo. I was like, dad usually takes like 10 hours to do research. He usually takes like an hour per song. It's like, there's no way he's going to do it. I'm, I'm just going to take a couple minutes. You know he's not. I was like, there's no way that dad is going to take a couple minutes to research this stuff. I'm so 36 gl- songs. I'm glad people know me better than I know myself. Oh, yeah. But I really also why I, I said 36 songs? We're going to talk about and play 36 songs in one episode? Yeah. I just I just thought, well, 36 was completely unrealistic. I don't know what I was thinking about. Because if you just think about it in terms of time itself. Yeah. It's, Even playing it's 36 too, songs. Yeah. Like. It's a lot. It's a lot. I don't know what I was thinking about. I don't know either. But anyway, yes. Especially, I mean, you know, we'll get into it, but we've got some long songs. We 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 had a... The idea was this would be a bit of a breather, mm. and I wouldn't have to, like, spend... Do as much research. Do as much research. We could just have some fun. Yeah. But then then you're like, well, what am I going to say about the songs? Am I just going to play them? Are we not going to talk about them? Well, is no, it... we would talk about... You would say, like, this is this band. Here's yeah. a tiny bit of information about this band. Yeah. And here's what we felt about the song, and now let's talk about the next song. Oh, okay. How many pages of notes do you have? Six. That's short, though. Usually, for 18 I, songs? That's pretty good. I usually have about 14 like, pages. That's like three songs per page. Yeah. As opposed to regularly one whole page per song. Yeah. yeah. And it starts off It starts off pretty pretty good. I have... That I does think, start off really good. I think it has six songs in that one page there. That's pretty good. Hmm. But that means that it gets worse later on. <laughs> it does. So, it's hard right. to say. Oh, well. It's just, you know, like when you start... When I start reading about... This stuff I get really interested in what I'm reading about, and mm-hmm. then I'm like, oh, let's follow down this rabbit hole. Oh, mm-hmm. this is interesting. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find some good stuff. But anyway, let's start off with our first, our first top five list, which I already mentioned is top five. I'm so mad at my label songs. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, this was this was inspired by I was talking about Graham Parker last week, and then I was listening to Leonard Skinner's album Second Helping uh, last week, and they have a song in there called working for mca and i was like oh this is cool 
So here's another song by, by a band that's mad at their label. Well, I'm going to think of more songs about bands that are mad at their label. And so when I say top five, I don't really think of the, like the top. These are like the best songs on this. These are the, the top five songs that I can think of off the top of my head. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like I don't, I'm not like trying to find the best, the very best songs of, of this thing. But these are songs I like. Sometimes they are songs I think are very good. But often they're just songs that I like or that pop into my head while I'm trying to think of this topic. So normally I sit down and I just go, I'll think of like a song and then I'll be like, oh, I bet you there's more songs that are like that. Or I'll hear a song and I'll go like, that's funny that there's this song and this song about this topic. And then I'll go, I wonder if there's other songs like that. And I'll start thinking about it. So anyway, so let's start with uh, our very good friend, Nick Lowe. We actually listened to him last episode. We're going to listen to him again. This is uh, the song, I Love My Label, which was never really released on an official record until it came out as, as a as a bonus track on Jesus of Cool, his first album. It first appeared on a stiff compilation called A Bunch of Stiffs that came out in 1977. So let's give this song a listen. Let's hear it. Oh, yes. I love my label. And my label loves me.
All right, and we're back. Mary, what did you think of uh, I Love My Label? I thought it was a pretty silly and fun song. Pretty, I liked it. Pretty silly and fun song. And what's kind of silly and fun about it is that it's not about stiff records. It's about United Artists records when Nick Lowe was signed to them with Brinsley Swartz, the, the band that he was in. Just to give a quick, I believe we've given a quick kind of pocket overview of his career before, but he was in a band called Kippington Lodge, which then became Brinsley Swartz, Mary. And Brinsley, Brinsley Swartz. And Brinsley Swartz had one of the one of the world's worst publicity stunts to ever backfire in a band. They got signed to a, to a company, a management company called Fame Pushers. That was the name of the, it. was actually Dave Robinson, who later, of course, formed Stiff Records and would manage Graham Parker and the Rumor and, and was, you know, kind of a uh, mover and shaker in the pub rock scene. But anyway, so he started this company called Fame Pushers. And so it was their idea with Brinsley Swartz that th- what they're going to do to like promote their first album, because they were Kippington Lodge, it's very kind of psych, light psych kind of band. They worked, you know, they did a lot of stuff. They worked with um, Mark Wirtz, the German, British German producer who uh, did the uh, uh, excerpt from a teenage opera, which is kind of a big hit in the 60s. And they did some stuff with him in the late 60s. And then, but their career wasn't really going anywhere too too fast. So they changed the name to Brinsley Schwartz, which was the name of what, the, the guitar player in the band. So they kind of named the band after this one guy. Not that he was like a move, major part of the band. I don't even know if he wrote songs or sang, but he, they named the band after him. And so then um, they're going to put out this album. And so their management company said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to fly you guys to New York City. Mm-hmm. You're going to play at the Fillmore East. Mm-hmm. You're going to open for, I can't remember who they're going to open for, but they're going to open for like a big group, the band or something like that. And what we're also going to do is we're going to fly in a bunch of journalists, a bunch of British journalists, and then they're going to review the show. And you're, all you're going to do is get rave reviews about the show because it's going to be what a fantastic experience for the journalists. They're going to you know, be only concentrating on you. You guys are going to be so great you know, playing playing this concert. It's just going to mm-hmm. be fantastic. So they're like, okay, that sounds cool. So the original plan was them to fly in two days early. Okay. So they'd have some time to, you know, acclimatize themselves, get, you know, to the time change and everything else and then kind of get settled there and then do some rehearsals. But there was visa problems. So they ended up only being able to fly in the day of. And the problem was they had to fly into Canada because they couldn't get, a, their visas wouldn't work to go f- directly into America. They had to fly oh. into Canada and then cross the border from there. Weird. So they flew into Montreal and then they took, they took a light plane from there into New York City. So basically, they arrived the same the same day they were playing. In fact, they were there later than the journalists who were flown across on a jet. They came across, yeah, landed in New York City. Then they had to wait. So they all they got drunk, they got hungover. They were all like in a bis- miserable state. By the time Brinsley Schwartz so- showed up, and by the way, they they couldn't bring their instruments with them. So they had to borrow their instruments, and they hadn't even played those yet. So they're playing a con they're playing a concert on No Sleep, in a different city, on unfamiliar instruments, for a band of a bunch of drunk British journalists who are mean at the best of times. And then uh, it was a complete PR disaster, and it probably cost them a lot of money. So they kind of sank into the scene from then, and and uh, this became sort of another pub rock band. Mm-hmm. A really good one, but just another one. But they were signed yeah. to United Artists, put out a couple of records with them. To be honest with you, <clears throat> uh, I don't think they're a great band. I think they're kind of boring, but... You like the song? Uh, What's that? But you like the song. I like this song. Well, this is Nick Lowe kind of playing after. Like this song, oh, yeah. it's much more popped up. Than right. Princely Swords played in kind of a British country rock style. Oh, okay. Which is weird because they're not really a country. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are a country, but they're not really like a country that has like country Con- music as a, yeah. as a background. So it's weird when bands, it's just weird to me when bands from other places adopt the, you know, 
they adopt like fully adopt like the sound of a different country's music you know it's mm. just kind of weird yeah uh it's okay i don't know it's just it's like just if like strange. a canadian band started playing tropicalia yeah that just be weird like, you'd be like hmm, why <laughs> like this doesn't really like, you don't have any sort of connection connection to it or yeah. basis in it right yeah and, and like tr- using tropicalia as an example it's one thing to be influenced by someone else and yeah. sort of adopt that sort of style and integrate it with your own right mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. another to just be like i'm gonna start playing in this style that i have no connection with other than like i like it yeah 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 like for guys who are country rockers in la like most of those people were guys who had come from southern states and mm-hmm. moved to la montana south dakota those aren't southern oh sorry i'm thinking midwest <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll say virginia tennessee tennessee's a good one yeah tennessee's a really good one georgia Virginia. West Virginia. West Virginia. You know, writing a lot of songs about Appalachia. Yeah. Yeah. If you're from West Virginia. Sure. And coal also. Those are the two things I know about West Virginia. There you go. So yeah, so so they're bringing their heritage with them and they're incorporated into the into the forms of music that are being played in the city. So it became country rock. Whereas, you know, for Brinsley Swartz, they're just like a bunch of British guys who grew mm-hmm. up in London mm-hmm. who were then were sort of, a, a, you know, wearing plaid shirts and uh, cowboy hats and playing. Yeah. It's not really. And they're like, I've never seen a uh, pickup truck before in my life. I'm going <laughs> to sing about how I own one. <laughs> Yeehaw. Because there are no pickup trucks in the UK. There aren't? No. Remember when we went there and we were driving and it's like all cars? Yeah, that's There's true. no trucks. And you'd see like- Not a significant amount. Cars anymore. like pulling like old trailers and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and here it's like every second vehicle is a, is a truck. Yeah. 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 So yeah, so that's uh, so yeah. The song is kind of about their relationship with United Artists, which probably was not great. Hmm. But uh, all right, so that was fast, right? We're yeah. gonna get we're gonna get through thirty six songs easy, Mary. We're not gonna talk about thirty six. We're getting through thirty six songs. I've changed my mind. We're, we're gonna, gonna talk 36. about fifteen to eighteen to twenty one. <laughs> all right, so uh, let's move on to the one of the raison d'etres of this list, which is Graham Parker's "Mercury Poisoning," mm. which I don't own that song. In the original version, or I guess in the single version, I just have it as a, a live version that came out. Um, I have a CD of uh, Squeezing Out Sparks. And when Squeezing Out Sparks was released by Arista Records in 1979, uh, it was accompanied by a live disc. It was a promotional item for okay. that was sent to, to DJs. So they got the album and then they got this promotional thing. So when they put the CD out, they added this to it. And it has Mercury Poisoning on it. And that's, and I think it's a you know, it's a really good live version of the song, so what the heck. So this is uh, Mercury Poisoning. So just give a, a listen to uh, a guy complaining about being the best kept secret in the West. So uh, here we go. That's Graham Parker and the rumor. This is for Irwin. Let's take it. Mercury Poisoning. <laughs> The company is crippling me, the worst, trying to ruin the best, the best. And their promotions for life, they could never ever take it to the real ball game. Maybe they think I'm a pet, well, I got the little diseases, I'm breaking out in sweat. You bet, cause I got mercury poisoning. The boys and me are getting real 
poisoning mayor i thought it was also a pretty silly and fun song i enjoyed it yeah 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 it's probably it's probably the most vituperative how's that how you say that word i've only ever read it in my Wait, life what the most vituperative song spell it v-i-t v-i-t-u-p-e-r-a-t-i-v-e v-i-t-u-p-e-r-a-t-i-v-e. that's a not a real word it is i've never seen that word before in my life vituperative vituperative yeah look it up then if you don't believe me okay okay but that i mean the most like angry at his record company the most bitter the most uh, venomous song. Um, oh. Yeah, so like I was saying earlier, he released his final record for Mercury Records, the Parkerilla, that also had uh, a side of, of kind of off, off you know, oop, non-album tracks. It looks like it's vituperative. Vituperative, yeah. Vituperative. vituperative. I, I spelled it correctly, didn't I? Yes. V i t u p e r a t i v. Is that what you said? That's what I said. Yeah. Yeah. Then yes. Hmm. I'm sorry. I doubted you. Yes. Please don't. And it does mean like. What does it mean? What is it? Bitter and abusive. Yeah. There you go. That's it. Describes that song <laughs> to Mercury Records. And um, and actually the uh, the um, the use it in a sentence. Yeah. That they have here um, is perhaps relevant to the song, okay. which is the criticism sur- soon turned into a vituperative attack. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because what it was was Graham Parker, who was men- immensely popular in England, felt felt like he should also be immensely popular in the United States, and he didn't understand why why Mercury couldn't promote him effectively and get his music out into the radio onto the radio stations, and so and he was very unhappy and he was complaining about them, and so he decided he wanted out of the contract with Mercury Records, so he basically dumped this album on them. This is a live album with 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 a bunch of bunch of already recorded stuff thrown thrown onto it, and then when they were starting to promote that album, he had already signed with Arista Records and he'd released this song, 
So simultaneously with them trying to promote their final Graham Parker song, comes this little track comes out full of uh, bile and, and, and bitter hatred towards towards Mercury Records. So it was kind of a weird a weird end to to his uh, to his time with them. But anyway, there you go. That's Mercury Poisoning. I think it's a very good song. I also think Graham Parker and the Rumor were a very 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 good band. So let us move on to a different band, Mary. This is an actual Southern band oh, okay. who are working in the South. Who lived in the South, played in the South, mm-hmm. and and wrote a lot about their time in the South. Of course, there's "Sweet Home Alabama" is one of their best-known songs. Of course, I'm talking about Leonard Skinner, mm-hmm. and they wrote another song called "Well, no, that's "Sweet Home Alabama" is their one kind of. They wrote other songs though about their their experiences in the South and stuff like that. That "Sweet Home Alabama" was an answer song to Neil Young, who had written a song called "Southern Man," and oh, okay. another song called "Alabama," which were very critical about the South, and so mm-hmm. they wrote. They wrote these answer songs, although right. the band was not from Alabama; they were from uh, Northern Florida. Mm, okay, but which is like almost Alabama. It's very, it's a very southern place, more southern than the than the the, the south of Florida. Well, y- the southern tip of Florida is a lot less southern than the northern part of Florida. That makes sense. Yeah, just geographically. Exactly. Yeah. So this is working for MCA from their their uh, saying earlier their sec- second album, Second Helping, mm-hmm. that came out in nineteen seventy four. And uh, let's give it a listen, everyone.
All right, and we're back. So I just want to say, Mary, that that's some pretty hot playing there. Mm-hmm. A band. They were a band with three guitar players. Mm. Um, Ed King. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I can't remember the other guys. The other guy's name was Collins. And the other guy's name was Rossington. But I don't know. If, I can't remember. If, one of them was Gary. It might be Gary Rossington. or maybe Gary Collins. I'm not sure. Hmm. I couldn't tell you. They later had a band called the Rossington Collins Band. Oh. When when Leonard Skinner met its also as a uh, sad and terrible end. Also as a response to uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Well, yeah, I guess it was a <laughs> Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young called their band that because they'd all been in other bands. Mm-hmm. Then when they left the band, carried on without them, mm-hmm. and they kind of felt like that was mm. like they're founding members, and they're right. like. Like what? Well, they were like bitter because they went on to yeah. make careers because they felt like they were better than their bands. And yeah. Mad that the bands <laughs> continued without them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Um. But I thought this was a super fun song. Mm-hmm. I really? Liked it a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad, glad you liked it. Yeah. I mean, probably best known now for well, Sweet Home Alabama and then Free Bird is their oh yeah their very f- most famous song. Yep. Even though it's kind of a, a jerk song, since it's about a guy who like can't be tied down by stuff. Oh. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, lady. Got to leave you now. I'm a free bird. It's like, it's such an irritating... Uh, <laughs> trope? Yeah, trope. <laughs> guys are like, yeah, I just, I just can't be tied down. You're like, so you just flaky then. If I leave here tomorrow. You're just a flake then. You're just like, a, <laughs> you're just like an unreliable person. <laughs> exactly. That's cool. That's cool. Exactly what the song is about. Exactly what the song is about. It's like, yeah, I got some issues. And uh, rather than dealing with them, I'm just going to talk about how great I am. <laughs> no, don't. That's not... I can't commit to anything in my life. And that's because I'm super cool, not because I have any unresolved issues with my dad leaving. <laughs> well, there's probably a lot of that to the to to, to um uh the um mean guy of, of gee, I can't remember his name now. Ronnie Ronnie Van Zant. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Who was kind of the mean was the band leader. He's one of those kind of tough, tough but fair people who, you know, kept the band under his thumb. Right. And uh, yeah. They're they tough but fair were... as opposed to uh tough but unfair yeah like in um captain beefheart captain beefheart yes yeah. that's right where it's like, <laughs> like a crazy weird cult yeah. or james brown with his series of fines oh, for ugh. making mistakes on stage and ugh. stuff like that that's frustrating <laughs> so so yeah so the song is pretty autobiographical they were signed to mca mm-hmm. they were signed for what they considered the paltry sum of nine thousand mm. dollars for a band that i think was seven people but Wow. Or six people. So, yeah. you know, like, cause, I mean, they had three guitar players. They had a keyboard player, right. lead singer, drummer, and then a bass player. So, yeah, it's seven without even the, the ladies, the lady singers that sang with them mm, and stuff like mm-hmm. that, too. So, yeah, they're playing around the South and they were discovered by what I like to call Rock and Roll's Unzelig, which, it, of course, is uh, uh, Al Cooper. Okay. Who is like in these kind of weird everywhere little places, it feels mm. like, in, in music of that time period. Yeah. Like, you're like, did he. Did he work with the Rolling Stones? He did. Mm. He did work for the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. Was he with Bob Dylan? He was. He was with Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah. Was he with Bob, D- Bob Dylan at like some sort of like seminal moment in Bob Dylan's career? He was. Yeah. He was. In fact, he maybe even contributed to that seminal sound of Bob Dylan from that time period. Right. Because he went, he was a friend of Tom Wilson. He's the one who bought Bob Dylan the electric guitar. <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite. But he was friends with Tom Wilson, okay. who, was, who was, was Bob Dylan's producer. And so he begged Tom Wilson to let him like sit in on a on a set a Bob Dylan session, right? Like not play, just sit in the t- control room and yeah. watch. And so they were recording like a Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. and he was sitting there watching this this 
rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Kind of, and he thought, that's, that would be a good name for my band, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> no. He was listening. He went, you know what? I have a good idea for a part for this song. And so then he, uh, when Tom Wilson was busy on the phone, which apparently he was often busy on the phone a lot. So, okay. So he like snuck around. Yeah. And got behind the keyboards. Mm-hmm. And he just started playing. Yeah. Without telling anyone he was going to do it. <laughs> just joined in. Yeah. And then Tom Wilson saw him and said, hey, you can't even play the keyboards. Get out of there. And Bob Dylan was like, no, no, no. I really like what he's doing. Yeah. And so he got to stay because he didn't actually play the keyboards. <laughs> he could just kind of like figure it out, you know, so he just sort of yeah. figured it out a part. And then, um, so I love that story. Mm-hmm. I also love that the Rolling Stones asked him to... Um, Al Cooper? Al Cooper. Well, he asked them. Okay. He heard their version of, you can't always get what, what you want. And he said, he said, you know what sounds great on this is a horn part. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, really? He goes, yeah, I can do one for you. I'll arrange the horn part. And I'll just add it to it and I'll send it to you. And right. He, and so so he arranged his whole horn part, but he wanted to have a French horn in it. But he couldn't find anyone to play the French horn. Okay. And so then he played the French horn. Okay. Even though he didn't play the French horn, he just right. sort of figured it out yeah. for the session. And so he played this kind of rudimentary French horn part right. as part of the song. And so when the when the Rolling Stones got the tapes, they're like, hmm, don't really like the horns very much. But I love the French horn. So they took out all the other horns, except left the French horn in for okay. the song. So yeah, he's on the song playing, once again, an instrument that he couldn't yeah. actually play. He sounds like someone who's like very musically talented. Yeah. Like someone yeah. with like a really good ear. Yeah. But also like probably talented in business as well. Yeah, I guess he did okay. Because like if he, like was he what? Like he wasn't a professional musician. Yeah, no, he was. Oh, he was. Yeah, oh, yeah. okay. What did he... he played with a guitar player oh, and okay. stuff like that. Like okay. he's uh, pretty, pretty well known for, he did a record... For some reason, I thought he was like a producer because you said that he was like discovered by, or he discovered them or whatever. Mm. Well, be- yeah, because he kind of did both things. So, okay. so like he, um, like for instance, the zombies, mm-hmm. like when they did their final roll of the dice and produced Odyssey and Oracle, mm-hmm. and then it went to nothing. Mm-hmm. It was sitting at the record company in the States and where Al Cooper was working and he heard, he heard it and he went, how come we're not releasing this? And they're like, well... Not, it's not any good. And he's like, no, no, this is great. This is brilliant. And so he 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 re, he put out time. Well, he put out first. He put out a different. He put out the first single, which kind of called a sacrificial single. Okay. I can't remember what it was. Like care of cell block, whatever, or for Emily. One of the songs from that. I'll... For Emily's fun, not fun. I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. And so, but it wasn't like a hit song, right? Mm-hmm. Time of the season is your hit. Yes. Well, yeah. But he didn't want to put that out first. He wanted to put out like kind of a taster. Right. Get the name out. There. Get the name out there yeah. exactly. And then he put out time of the season, and mm-hmm. that just took off but by the time that took off the, the zombies were already broken already broken up yeah uh the lead singer whose name will not go into my head because i'm can't remember people's names anymore but um oh rob zombie <laughs> <laughs> colin blundstone <laughs> rob zombie <laughs> it's the zombies it named after himself obviously colin blundstone was working in like an insurance office oh okay when this album was taking off and selling selling you know hundred thousand copies right. in the states and I single mean, was all everywhere the other thing is you know this was obviously pre-internet yeah right so it's like it's likely he wasn't even aware of it when it was happening yeah right like now you could be like oh wow people are talking about me on my, online my google uh search like notifications for the zombies that song is is going crazy but now it's like for that that point it would be like you know someone would have to search him out and tell mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. sorry my mind was just sort of wandering to uh songs by people who are thrown out of their own band <laughs> because he was um he formed a group called blood sweat and tears was he thrown out of his band though 
Yes, he was thrown out of blood, sweat, and tears by the group. Oh, I thought you meant he was thrown out of the zombies. No, no, he wasn't in the zombies. He was just he just Colin Bloodstone. No, no, no. I'm talking about uh, talking about uh, Al Cooper. Oh, okay. The, yeah, he. Well, we were, we were. I was talking about Colin Bloodstone. Okay, I'm so sorry. I was just sort of thinking, no, sort of no, thinking about fine. Al Cooper. It's just, you know, I'm just pointing out that it's a non sequitur. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, sorry. I was still thinking about Al Cooper because yeah, he's formed a group called Blood, Sweat, and Tears, which was like kind of. I think he was a little ahead of the curve. I don't know. I'd have to look at the timeline for Chicago and for Blood, Sweat, and Tears. But he was just sort of like right on the verge of like when it suddenly became popular to do like that kind of big sounding group with like a bunch of horn, big big horn section. Okay. And then a rock and roll sound as well, though, mm-hmm. like bands like Chicago, but Blood, Sweat, and Tears as well, who had like a huge hit with Spinning Wheel and uh, Till I Die and stuff like that with David Clayton Thomas, Canadian singer. And... And yeah, and so then he was like, just happened to be touring in the South and he heard Leonard Skinner playing in a, in a club or in a bar. And he was like, oh, this is, uh, this is great. And so he, he got them signed to MCA for $9,000. And for his trouble, he gets referred to in this, in the song working for MCA as Yankee Slicker. <laughs> so there you go. Al Cooper. All right, so let's get to our other song. Oh, but I was going to say about Al Cooper. Yep. He's one of those people who keeps popping up in music history. Yeah. Much like David Geffen. Wow, that was a good... Uh, I like I like your segue. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mary. Because this song is uh, by Mojo Nixon that has a, a a sentiment that I agree with very, very, very much. And that is, bring me the head of David Geffen. So let's listen to this song from uh, 1997. Uh, Mojo Nixon. Here we go. Killed rock and roll. Who killed rock and roll? I don't know. I've been told. I've been told, and I'm gonna tell you too, baby. Bring me the head of David Kevin. 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 Oh! 
Yes, I know he's old and decrepit, but please, everyone, if you have any time at all, bring me the head of David Geffen on a platter. Hmm. And I'd like it, um, you know, kind of surrounded with uh, garnishes. Well, yeah, of course. You know, just to, mostly to hide the... I imagine it'll be a kind of a rough job where you've severed the neck. Well, yeah. It's better if you hide it with a kind of a little... I mean, I doubt you're going to get a surgeon to do it for you. A you little know? kind of wreath of parsley around there will, help, will hopefully... Uh, well, hopefully. Anyway, what do you think of this song, Mare? Bet you liked it. Um. Uh. So my note was: so does this guy like David Geffen? Or <laughs> at that point, I didn't know the name of the song, but okay. um, you know, the lyrics yes. are, I think, pretty. Uh, pretty. What's the word? Vituperative. Vituperative is a good word that I just <laughs> learned today on my word a day calendar. Um. I was gonna say. There's there's not really much room for um for discussion there. Yeah. You know? He doesn't like David Def- David Geffen. No, he does not. He's mad mm-hmm. that David Geffen screwed over Judy Sell. Yes. And I don't blame Specifically, him. Specifically, I am too, you know? I'm fierce about that. Mm-hmm. He should have like he should like kept her like on a like as a legacy as legacy signing. Mm-hmm. Like she just been able to make records for, for Asylum Forever. He already had like he had the Eagles. Yeah. Joni he, Mitchell. He had Joni Mitchell. He could have afforded to like underwrite Judy Sill's career a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. I doubt her albums were that expensive. I know she liked to use strings and stuff like that, yeah. but even there, like, not every song had strings on it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, not every artist needs to tour to make money for you. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you can allow an artist to make albums and not tour, and just let them like do their thing. Yeah, yeah. you know. Well, she didn't mind playing live. It's just she didn't want to be like opening up. For a completely unsuitable band, right? Yeah. Like she was opening like for a rock act, mm-hmm. basically. And so the audience was like, you suck. Yeah. And she's trying to do her heartfelt songs about crayon angels and yeah. and people looping through the cosmos. And mm-hmm. here's people yelling at her from the audience. So yeah. That's not fun. And so she's, her feeling was, you know, let me just make music and then, you know, I'll make you good music. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't, he didn't like that idea. And also, he also screwed over... Um, Karen Dalton? No, not Karen oh. Dalton. She screwed herself over. No, um, uh, Laura Nero. Oh, okay. Singer as well. He also uh, did her a bum bum steer as well. Mm. So yeah, he wasn't like a great guy. No, that's what I'm saying. So yeah, he didn't he didn't give people. I mean, like you know, I get that it's business, but he didn't he didn't give people a lot of chances or a lot of leeway. <laughs> no, he did not. He did not. He was all business, all business, Mister. He's fine. He's doing great. David Geffen is. Yeah. Well, yeah, he had the Eagles and he had Joni Mitchell. He's doing great. Asylum Records is fine. Well, yes. it's no longer. It's not. I don't think it's his anymore. He started a different company called Geffen Records, mm. and then he uh, formed DreamWorks with Steven Spielberg and Jeffrey Katzenberg. Mm. So again, he's doing fine. He's doing okay. Yes, <laughs> just fine. All right. Speaking of just fine, how about just great? Let's end with a just great band. Mm-hmm. Wait, you have nothing more to say about that last song? No, not really. Okay. It's Mojo Nixon. Yeah. He's he's a guy. He's mm-hmm. a singer. He kind of been working on the fringes of the music scene for quite a while. Fair, um, because I don't think he's making a lot of friends with songs <laughs> like this. No, he did another song called something like Kill Don Henley or something like that. Like he wanted to kill oh, Don okay. Henley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also in this. Which, by the way, mm-hmm. Don Henley actually got up in, at a club and sang, sang it on stage with him. <laughs> and he said, funny. he said, um, he said, I think he said something like, uh, he said, yeah, Don Henley, he's got, he's got balls like a church bell. <laughs> um. But yeah, in this song, doesn't he also have a line about how Woodstock was too commercial or something too? Oh, they're talking about Woodstock 2? Woodstock 2, okay. Yeah, which was a... And then 
yeah, the fact that the Eagles are coming back again. We mentioned yeah. because they had a tour called When Hell Freezes Over because they said they wouldn't reform in, yeah. until Hell Freezes Over. And then they did reform. Mm -hmm. And then Hell froze over. It's a terrible day for Hell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what can you do? The Eagles wanted to reform. Yeah. They needed more cocaine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they had to go out and tour. The some some the somewhat eagles, let's call it that. They weren't mm. the real eagles. Um, all right, so this is the Sex Pistols. Oh, but was, I was actually sorry, okay, sorry. sorry. I was actually also gonna say um, that them bad mouthing the or this guy but bad mouthing the eagles is why you like that song. Hmm. Because you don't like the eagles. I. That's true. It's <laughs> very true. Okay, sorry. So uh, this song is the Sex Pistols. I have, I have an acquaintance at work who loves to regale me with stories about the eagles. I'm just like, I don't don't like them don't like the eagles so i don't know why you're telling me about this why are you so uh speaking of bands that went on a went on a uh reformed for the money mm -hmm. yes this is the sex pistols oh, okay what song is this father this is uh emi oh, okay from Nevermind the bollocks mm -hmm. here's the sex pistols from 1977 oh so long ago it came in same year as the first star wars came out wow I was not that interested in this this album in that year. I can tell you that right now. Not as interested as Star Wars. I was not. I wasn't really like a rock and roll music fan at that time. Mm. Like not like I became in the in the as I became a teenager. Right. You were you were a bigger fan of the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which also came out in 1977. Oh really? Mm -hmm. And the Rescuers. I don't don't remember the Rescuers, but I was a, I was a fan of that Winnie the Pooh film. Yeah, they didn't release two uh, films in 1977. One because was like a collection. That's the thing. It was yeah. basically a package film. They already had all the yeah. The, they had released all three as shorts mm -hmm. over the past like 14, 13 years. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. All right. So this is EMI, everyone. Let's give it a listen. Here we go. Another and blind acceptance is a sign. A sign. 
right. And that is the only song that's going to end on a raspberry today. So that's, that's <laughs> fine. We at least have one. Yeah. Gives the old to the record comp- record label. Mm-hmm. Uh, EMI had signed Mary Ian. EMI had signed the Sex Pistols. Yes. B- before this album came out. Before this album came out. Uh, they were signed to the EMI for three months. Mm-hmm. They got a pretty nice advance. Mm-hmm. And then they appeared on a show called The Today Show. This is the British Today Show. Okay. And the original, the so two things that happened. The I think the regular host wasn't there, and there was a fill-in host, a guy named Bill Grundy. Okay. And then the Queen were supposed to appear on that show that day, and okay. they dropped out because Freddie Mercury had to go to the dentist. Okay. Having seen Bohemian Rhapsody, it was probably a three-day event, him going to the dentist. <laughs> and so... I mean, he has a lot of teeth. That's what I was implying. Yeah, I know. And so then, so the Sex Pistols were, because like, they're also an EMI client, as was the Queen. Okay, yes. Just signed yep. EMI. So then, so then the Sex Pistols uh, were asked to fill in. And so they, they went down there. They went down there with what was called the Bromley Contingent, which was uh, a group of like kind of scenesters, mm-hmm. uh, punk scenesters, including Susie Sue, okay, who yes. la- later became part of Susie Sue and the Banshees, and Steve Severin, who mm-hmm. later became par- part of the Banshees as well. Mm-hmm. He's one of the Banshees. And some of their other friends went with the Sex Pistols to this to this thing. And so, uh, of course, it was just chaos because they were all, they were drunk. Because it was a bunch of punks. They were drunk yeah. because they were given alcohol in the in the. Oh, in the limo? In the hospitality suite while they were waiting to go on the show. The green room. And then the host of the show also had gotten drunk. And so it was just not a great meeting of mine. So Mm. he was very abusive to them. Okay. And then they were giving back in kind. Right. And so, and then they were swearing during the show. Because they're punks. Because they're punk rockers. That's right. And then, and then I guess Bill Grundy kind of came on to Susie Sue. Mm. And so that got Steve Jones upset and he called him a, a rotter and then eventually called him a, a... effing rotter hmm. and so then the next day and it, it was and the thing about the show it was only shown in london okay the show did not broadcast in any other part of england or anywhere else it was okay. just a, a, lo- a regional show strange the next day it was on all the covers of all the newspapers right famously on the on the daily mirror the filth and the fury it so, read which is a great it's a great thing i mean if you got something behind your back in your in your on your resume that's a great thing to have yeah but it really affected the group because Everywhere, everyone in England was angry at them now because right. they had dared to say the F word on, on television, mm. even though they hadn't seen it. But yeah. And so they had a, had a tour planned and the tour was being canceled everywhere they went. It was like a package tour. Well, it had like the damned were part of it until Malcolm McLaren kicked them off because they were doing better than the Sex Pistols. Uh, it had the, the Heartbreakers from New York, Johnny Thunder and the Heartbreakers that had um, other bands involved. I can't remember who now, sorry. But... Yeah, so everywhere they went, like the the town the town fathers would would cancel the shows, or promoters would cancel the shows. They would have to to come into town, and and often they would perform under a pseudonym, so only like, only people who were in the know would know that they were there, right. and you know stuff like that. Hmm. It was, but it was also on this tour. I, that okay, that's sorry. It's strange to me. Yeah. That people who would be upset about someone saying the f word on TV mm-hmm. would also not would also ever go to a sex pistol show <laughs> yeah of course they but that's the thing they didn't it's not about them it's about their kids it's about the children what won't somebody think of the children there's a really interesting documentary i was watching there mm. about the sex pistols and it was talking about during this tour they were in the north north of england mm-hmm. and there was a town and the and the firefighters were on strike okay and so 
the families didn't have any money and it was Christmas time. And so mm-hmm. the Sex Pistols come into town. And so they did like a, a benefit show for the firefighters. Right. And and they, uh, and this is a fantastic thing to watch because, you know, it, they like did a concert for the, all these little kids. So, so there's all these like little kids like watching the Sex Pistols play. And this is after Glenn Matlock had been kicked out of the band. So it's got Sid Vicious on bass and then Johnny Rotten and then uh, Paul Cook on drums and, 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 uh, and um, Steve Jones on guitar. And yeah, they're just doing like this little, this like regular normal Sex Pistols show, but all yeah. for like little six-year-old kids. And then afterwards they like give out, they give out presents. Yeah. And Johnny, Johnny uh, Rotten's cutting cake for them. <laughs> it's just so heartwarming to see, like yeah. just to see people being like normal. They're not like, they're not speeding and stuff like that. They're just yeah. like, they're, they're not like, a... they're not like being their, pers- they're like punk rock personas. Well, they are being their punk rock personas, but part of their punk rock persona was that they're just regular people who, you know, were like, you know, also against being conformists. Right. You know, and so this whole thing is also about not being conformist, right? Because the people who are against the strikers, those are the people who are against the Sex Pistols, Yeah, right? yeah, totally. Well, so. yeah, I mean, people who are anti-union are also often anti-punk, right? Yeah, yeah. And punkers are often pretty pro-union, yeah. generally. Yeah. I think it's kind of funny that I said I'd never get emails and I'm getting like a whole, yeah. whole raft of them. Anyway. Someone's popular with... With, spammy websites with uh debt de- with uh, debt collectors yeah. that's, that's who i'm most popular with <laughs> so then of course emi reacted to all this by dropping the sex pistols well yeah they just oh we don't want you on our label so they dropped them the sex pistols got to keep their big advance though, which was nice i mean and they also got to record this great song which to me is one of the best sex pistol songs it's a really good song maybe my favorite sex pistol it's song, a super actually. good song yeah it's uh it's iconic <laughs> it is iconic. um but the other thing is it's crazy to me that someone would sign a punk band mm-hmm and then get upset when they act like a punk band, I know. right? But they just wanted to cash in on the craze, right? Well, yeah, but like you can't sign a punk band and then they say a swear and yeah. be like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, you guys. <laughs> we'll get rid of them. It's not us. It's them." Like that, that's just... that's a problem, right? Like that's especially the problem in England because you wouldn't really deal with this in the states. You've got your you've got okay, you've got your talent people, right? Mm-hmm. Your talent people are, are way down here, but above them are like actual like lord person. Like Lord so and so, who is like the head of the board of EMI, right? And so they're the ones who are upset. They're the ones yeah. who are putting the downward pressure on mm-hmm. the actual people who are signing the talent. Yeah, like those guys, they love they love the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. They're like we are. We have the best band out of this whole scene. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like yeah, okay, CBS signed the Clash. Whoop de doo. Yeah. We've got the Sex Pistols. This is the best group. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but. The higher the higher ups are like, oh no, we have to clutch our pearls and yeah. save our reputations as as lords and ladies, and you know get mm-hmm. these get these ruffians off of our off of our label. And so yeah, they got thrown off the label. They got signed to Virgin, and they put out they put out a great album, and they changed music. So there you go. Yeah, text pistols. EMI, you you really uh, you really saved face by losing <laughs> yourselves a lot of money <laughs> by like not backing your band and getting rid of them instead. And yes, the Sex Pistols did reform and tour for the money. But to be fair to them, they called it the Filthy Lucre Tour. So at least they were <laughs> honest. We almost saw that, but we, your mom and I had bought tickets to go to England the year that they uh, were coming. I think that was the year you went with us, when you went by yourself with us. Oh, 1996? Yeah. So I missed seeing the Sex Pistols and I missed seeing at the Pacific Coliseum and I missed seeing uh, Steely Dan that year, that summer. Because Both, we were in England? Because we were in England, yeah. <laughs> And we had tickets for the Sex Pistols, but we we had to we had to give them away. Right. It's funny too that you missed the Sex Pistols by going to England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Irony. 
And so, yeah, they, um, they, uh, apparently the show is like super fast. There was no opening act. Oh, okay. And the show was supposed to start at seven. Yeah. And it started exactly at seven. Oh, wow. And they played their entire discography, their whole discography, which is one album. Yeah. And a couple of off cuts, you know, they played some of their, they played a couple of the, of B-sides. Yeah. And then they, they left. Hmm. That was it. Wow. So long, everybody. Have you, do you remember in Scott Pilgrim when they're doing the first Battle of the Bands Mm -hmm. and they play against that one band, uh, Clash and the Boys? Yeah. And um, they're like, this is our first song. It's called I'm So Sad. I'm So Very, Very Sad. And they play it. It's like a 13 second song. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. And Wallace is like, hey, guys, it's not a race. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Sex Pistols in uh, Vancouver. No, it's great. But I mean, it was Vancouver, so a, a lot of my friends who went to the show, they actually missed them because they came, they came late. Yeah, of course, because they're Vancouver people. Because they're Vancouver people, and they also assume that cause it's, a, it's a band, so they're not going to be on stage for an hour after yeah. the, the doors open. You don't come out when the doors open, you come out an hour after the doors open. Yeah. That's how you sell booze, people. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they came out right away. Hmm. All right, Mary, next top five list. All right, what is it? Top five Christian psych rock songs. Strange, but okay. Why is that strange? It's a strange genre. It is a strange genre. Because... But it appeals to me in different ways. Okay. Because you like psychedelic and you're a Christian? Not so much the Christian part of it, because I feel like... I feel like that's probably the cornier part of the stuff. But more... It's more... It's partly the psych part of it, like the rock psych part of it. But also it's the heartfelt amateurishness of it. Mm, Okay. You do like that. These are not professionals, right? These are people who are... These are people who like are passionate. They're passionate about music. So it's all basically self-funded or financed by churches and stuff like that. And I just find that fascinating. I it's really a great it's just a great thing to me that the sort of like, you know, that the amateur naivety of it all is this and it's so it's you know, there's nothing like there's not like modern Christian rock. It's not it's not heartfelt and it's not it is not naive. It's very it's very targeted it's very polished very polished it's it's all about marketing mm-hmm. you know like and you're not even sure if those bands are sincere in their beliefs if they're yeah. just like pretending to be christians or just or over selling their their de- devotion well yeah it's like that episode of um south park where yeah. they try to make uh or they try to get go platinum I, they want yeah i want to be platinum, they decide yeah. that it's going to be easier if they Make a Christian band, yeah. But then they find out that Christian bands don't go platinum; they go myrrh, <laughs> which is like the best punchline to an episode. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, so, so yeah, so there, yeah, that's exactly the element of it. I often joke that whenever I hear like Christian rock being sung, it sounds like a person saying the name of Jesus while trying to go to the bathroom. Mm, yeah. So it is like, like Jesus, you know, mm. that kind of sound to me, and that's not that's not interesting. But what's interesting are people who are so enthusiastic about something that they're they are inspired to sing about it you know i'd be i would be as excited if there was like a bunch of like amateur stamp collector songs hmm. by bands who are like psychedelic bands who really got yeah. into to philately and wanted to tell everyone about I it i mean that is essentially nuggets though for sure right? a, lo- like a lot of it nuggets yeah. a lot is, of it and uh, rubble mm-hmm. right like they are like Look at all these amateur bands who really liked this genre and really liked music. Well, to a degree, Mary, but there's also a lot of like, there's also a lot of like bands who were simply studio musicians who were hired to pretend right, to okay. be groups sure, in order sure. to like. There's that too, but I yeah. mean, a lot of it is. But even that's kind of naive because yeah. it's it's like the most like it's so it's so it's so like overtly commercial that it's clumsy, right? And then sort of endearing in its ineptitude, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, that's sort of endearing in its own way. It's yeah. a different sort of endearing, but it's like, also, also um, endearing. Like watching that movie with The Rock in it where he's in the tall building. Skyscraper. skyscraper. Yeah. And you're like, man, this movie was obviously written by a committee <laughs> of people who wanted by a computer. To, yeah, who wanted to make a blockbuster. Yeah. And like, it's terrible. But, you know, it's kind of cute. It's nice that they tried. <laughs> they failed. <laughs> they, they did ever. not make a good movie. But, you know, <laughs> they, uh, they, they wrote a Deus Ex Machina into the story. Yeah. With that mirror room. <laughs> and they were like, we got a room and it's just all mirrors. And you're like, for the climax? Like, why Why did the building build that there? And they're like, for the end of the movie. And you're like, no, but why is it in the building? And they're like, for the end of the movie. And you're like, no, but in the fiction of the movie, why did they build that room? And they're like, because we want to put the end of the movie there. And you're like, I get that. <laughs> but like, who would build that? And they're like, we did. We made the movie. And you're like, No. That's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. All right. So let's listen to our first. Okay. Let's let's leave skyscraper behind. Yes. I'm just. I just that... want to say. Could you could you tell that that part made me so angry in the movie? Why would they build that? Why would they build that room? What makes me more angry about that film is, you know, I love Chinese cinema. I love like martial arts and I yeah. love like Hong Kong action movies and stuff like that. I think those are all really great. I love Stephen Chow. And China now is making because of the communists taking over and controlling what every everyone does. Mm-hmm. Like, no one can, like, make, like, individual films anymore. They have to make movies that are geared to in some masses, way, like, some yeah. sort of commercial element to them. And so a movie like like Skyscraper, which is a Chinese production, it's it's in no way, is it, like, it's like, it's like imitation North American movie. And so it, it doesn't feel, it feels unreal or, or fake because it's not heartfelt. Hmm. Like, it's nothing about, it has no, nothing in their experience. Like, if someone here made, like, a, like, a corny skyscraper disaster movie and stuff yeah. like that. It would have like some affection for the material because it, yeah. the people who watched it, maybe they grew up watching Towering Inferno. They're mm-hmm. fans of Die Hard, so they have like yeah, they like uh, Dread. Yeah, you know? that's or right, even yeah. like or even um, what's that other one that's like Dread but it's Asian with martial arts? Oh yeah, Redemption, Raid Redemption, Re- the Raid like Redemption. Yeah, 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 like you know, like you could see sort of elements of all these different types of skyscraper movies in it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that one you're right. It's so bland. Mm-hmm. It's just like there's nothing because they're it's just it's just machinery because yeah. the people who make it. There, there's nothing that interests them in the film. They're just trying to make something that is quote unquote commercial, mm-hmm. and so they're putting together like all these little blocks that of you know of these tropes and stuff like that. But it's, yeah. it's all it's just like meaningless to them. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, listening to Anna Fried and, and Agnetha sing English in, in ABBA songs. Oh yeah, it's meaningless to them. Yeah. So there's you're a like, slightly like, unreal quality. You're to saying it. things, but it doesn't make sense <laughs> to you. What's happening? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, and like you don't like you're doing this, but you don't see the logic of it. You're exactly. just doing it because it's expected. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's nothing heartfelt to them about being a dancing queen. Yeah, because they don't know what a dancing queen is. Right. They don't know what the words mean. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that bugged me in Skyscraper is there's a scene at the end where you know the you the audience knows who the bad guys are. Yeah. And so one of the bad guy hench and they are. Spoiler alert for Skyscraper, a movie you probably shouldn't watch. It's not very good. Um. <laughs> The villains are one of the eight people in the character, one of the eight characters in the movie Mm -hmm. who are, who work at the skyscraper and the rock has a wife and daughter who are living in the skyscraper. They're like the only people living there at this point. Mm -hmm. And they've met these people and they know they're like, oh, we know you, you work for the skyscraper. 
And then they're, the bad guy says to his hench person, oh, go get the wife and daughter. And so the guy goes to get the wife and daughter. And rather than being like, hey, you know me, there's an emergency. We need you to come with us. Yeah. He's like, I'm a bad guy and I'm going to get you. So they run away. <laughs> I'm like, why would you do that? He, they know that you're, they know you. Just <laughs> pretend like you're still a good guy. They weren't, th- we, the audience know you're bad, but they don't, they weren't there for that. Yeah. yeah. Makes no sense. So dumb. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And it would have been more tense if they're like riding in the elevator with the guy. Yeah. And then the wife realizes something's fishy. Yeah. And then they escape. That's Yeah, because more... she's like, oh, where's my husband? And he's like, oh, uh, and he's like being weird about it rather than being like coming in and being like, ha, 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 I'm going to take you because I'm bad. Like, <laughs> God, how did you guys manage to be bad for this long? Because you're so terrible at it. <laughs> All right. We went on a tangent. I can't believe it. So <laughs> let's get back on a track. Let's move the train back. Onto the track here. Away from, away from Skyscraper. Away from Skyscraper. And on to top five Christian psych rock songs. Mm-hmm. Oh, High Rise is the other Skyscraper movie I was thinking of. High Rise. Did you watch that? It's British. It's that's not a... That's, yeah, I was going to say, that's a... That's not a... Uh, that is not a um, adventure action movie. No, that, sure isn't. That is a yeah, dystopian... Yeah. Uh, I Hate Human Beings movie. Mm, yeah. I was disappointed by that movie. Well, it's written by J.G. Ballard. Yeah. Who wrote Crash and uh, an Island, which is a weird, which is a really strange book as well. Okay. And I just, I felt like it went. His books are very uh, strange. I feel like it went chaotic too fast. Mm. It was like, everything's fine today. And then it was like, we're going to eat people the next day. <laughs> like, hold on. There was no, there was no like process there. Like he didn't, it didn't like slowly go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but anyway. I think that's, uh, I don't, I mean, that might be a symptom of the movie where you have to like kind of telescope things. Yeah. Because normally I do like movies by the, by the writer, direct, director team of that, of that, that's Ben Wheatley and his, his partner, his girlfriend partner. Yeah. I can't remember who wrote it, but I do remember being in, like looking at their filmography and being like, oh, they've made some good stuff. And... Yeah. I feel in England is a great movie. And... Yeah. Yeah. All Any, right. Anyway, sorry. What, All right. are we, what are we talking about on this <laughs> podcast again? <laughs> that's right. Let's get back into our top five. Oh, right, right. Okay. Mary. Christian Sig Rock. This is the so band. Wait, are we talking about top five skyscraper movies now? Yes, now we're talking about <laughs> top five skyscraper movies. Towering Inferno, <laughs> Skyscraper, Sliver with Sharon Stone. Mm-hmm, okay. Uh, High Rise. Mm-hmm. Already said. We got three. Die Hard. Die Hard. Obviously good number one. one. Sure. And then? Oh, no, wait. What? I mean, okay, my, my top five, though, would actually be Dread. Yeah, that's a good movie. Uh, Raid Redemption. Very good. Die Hard. Okay. I don't know, but the last two. Hmm, I'll think about it. Yeah. We'll come back to this. Okay. Or we'll forget about it. Yeah, prob- probably the latter. <laughs> anyway, um, let's talk about these, these psych, no, Christian psychedelic songs. Yeah, so here we go. So this is The Advocates from the 1973 album, which is called The Advocates. Mm-hmm. And the song is called Blind Eyes. Here we go, everyone. Thank you. 
Okay, and we're back. And Mary, what did you think of uh, of this song, Blind Eyes? I didn't like it. Oh, why not? I just didn't like it. <laughs> you didn't like it? No. Huh. Do you have a reason for that? No. I just didn't like the sound of it. Oh. Oh, yeah. I liked it quite a bit. I like the uh, the harmonies and I stuff. I mean, I figured you liked it because, again, it is in your top five. Top five. Yeah, I really like the harmonies in it. Oh, I, I had the... a question that I meant to ask oh, you at sure. the beginning of this. Sure. I am assuming we're counting down five to one. No, they're just in a list. I don't really have any particular order. Oh, okay. Yeah. I Okay. All right. I've been thinking you were going five to one. Yeah, no. No, I just... All right. Just a list of five songs. Sure. So, yeah. So this was a British group made up of uh, associate evangelists for Youth for Christ, which I guess was a British organization. Youth? And Youth, Youth for, for Christ? Christ? Yeah. Huh. And, which is weird, because I don't really think of British as like an evangelical country, but I it's, used to listen... It's list- not. It... it or I mean, maybe it is now, but it definitely was not. Yeah. Hence, all the evangelicals moving to the Netherlands, and then America. Or, to, or America, yeah. Well, no, they moved to the Netherlands, and then they got worried because their kids were turning Dutch, so then they moved <laughs> to, to America. Yeah, I guess that's that's part of it. But yeah, so there there is a big evangelical community there, which I didn't realize until I was I start, I was listening to a podcast there for from there for a while called Unbelievable until I got until I realized that the host was a. Uh, post a gay marriage and then i was like nope don't need to be on this don't need to listen to this stuff yeah so long everyone yeah a lot of um a lot of a lot of truths came out after gay marriage was legalized in the states Mm. because you know for me at least it was legalized in canada when i was what 10 okay 11 ish so i was like it's not like the people i associated with had any opinion on it at all yeah because they didn't know it happened (laughs) but then when i when it when it was uh, legalized in the states, that's when people started coming out and being like, "Well, I don't like this." Since so then, I went unfriend. <laughs> Remember one Thank one you. person that I've been friends with in high, in university? Yeah. Um, she posted, she shared this article that was like, "As a Catholic, what are we supposed to do now that we're the bad guys?" I was like, "Come on, <laughs> what are you doing?" <laughs> don't, don't be a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it seems pretty simple, <laughs> but all right. All right. Okay, so uh, well, let's do our second song then. I, like, I don't have much to say about these songs in I most mean, cases. I mean, again, so. these these bands, as you said, very, very, very not professional bands. Yes, this was these were young people who uh, they were able to get an album funded by the organization they work for, yep. Youth for Christ. They yep. said, you know, we've got some songs we'd like to get out to the kids. Mm-hmm. And this is one way we can like get youth interested in Christ is by by rock me through rock music and mm-hmm. they're like oh okay that sounds reasonable mm-hmm. and so we, and then those money. people went and funded the church or founded the church of the nazarene <laughs> is that what it... well remember i used to go there with our, our neighbors and yeah. they played they had like a full band oh that's right that's right yeah and i had a name for that church the church of the rock and christ <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah no every every sunday there was like a full band guitar bass player drum I drum i don't like pepper. it I don't like it because the problem with that, and I've been at churches that have that, is that those guys on stage, they think you're their audience. Mm, yeah. It's not it's not like a community. Then mm-hmm. you're it's just a performance at performance place uh, space for them. Yeah. And you're the audience. And I, I don't like I like I remember one time hearing a guy who was did that at church referring to it as a gig. Mm, and it's like mm-mm. it's not a gig. No. I didn't say that to them, but I was thinking to myself, it's not a gig. Yeah. You're part of the church family. Like, yeah. you're not... The other thing was that church, to uh, to add to this theory of yours, mm. uh, two other things about that church was that the kids uh, were only in the, like, you know, like the service. Sa- sanctuary the space. The sanctuary space yeah. for 
maybe five minutes mm. and then we all went downstairs okay and i mean it was a big church and they had so many kids that i think that they separated us into three different age groups okay um and and then we came back after church was over but there was no like gathering mm. after like at our church st dunson's and aldergrove there's like a big hall where everyone gathers in and sits together and has snacks and stuff but at this church they had those little just dry little wafers yeah the wafer cookies with like the strawberry mm. or the chocolate I like ones. Those actually. I don't like them, but they would have them. At, they had like three, especially good stale. Oh, they had three <laughs> plates with those on them at yeah. intervals throughout the hallway on the way out. Okay. And that was it. Huh. There was like no gathering, no togetherness. Mm. Mm. It was, yeah, it was interesting. Definitely a different experience at St. Dunstan's. Yeah. Which yeah. had two kids, me and Eve. <laughs> and um, I just noticed someone was mowing their lawn. I guess I'm going to have to put a big uh, neon sign that says uh, rec- recording. recording. Live, re- quiet, live quiet, recording. Please, live recording, yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to our, our next song, Mary. Okay. So this band is called Vindication, and this is from their 1974 album, self-titled, called Vindication. And this song is called Money Window. Money Window. Strange. Yeah. But okay, let's hear it. Here we go.
All right. And we're back again. And that was Vindication. Mary, what did you think of this song? I thought it was fun. Oh, good. Yeah, it was a fun song. You like this song better than, than Blind Eyes? Hmm. Yeah. i got to say a couple things about this song. One is, I maybe said, should, should have said this before we listened to it, but fantastic drums mm. mm-hmm. and a fantastic drum sound. Okay. Like, that is like A-level professional drum miking going on there. It's just unbelievable right. how good the drums sound in that song. This group is uh, made up of, of uh, three kids okay, who were literally in the summer between grade 11 and 12. And I don't know what age that makes you. guys. 16? 15, 15, 15, 16? 16. Yeah, so that's how old they were when they when they did this album. They uh, got together a little younger than that and started performing. And they they were performing at their friend's house, one of the guys in the band. There was three of them. There was a guy named Pat Patrick Kennedy mm-hmm. who played guitars, bass, and vocal. In fact, he had a guitar that was a double-necked, Dan Electro guitar that had a guitar and a bass guitar in the same same body. Oh, okay. So he could play guitar and then also play bass right. <laughs> if he wanted to. And then a guy named Brad Garten, sorry, Brad Garten, who was played keyboards, glockenspiel, and did vocals. And then a guy named Jeff Pacheco, who was did drums and vocals as well. As well, they all did vocals. And now they were really influenced by prog rock at that time period. So that was okay. kind of where they're coming from in terms of their sound and stuff like that. They rehearsed at Pat Kennedy's house. He was on their way to high school and on their way home from high school. So okay. they could just easily drop in on the way home from high school. And they right. just, and the parents let them use a spare bedroom for a while. And they got, then they got to use the basement as a rehearsal space. And there's a lot of support from their parents. They were able to convince all their parents to like chip in so they could go to Bloomingdale, Indiana, to a real recording studio Ooh. with a real producer, a guy, named, a guy named Jack Gilfoy, who played drums for Henry Mancini. And you know who Henry Mancini is, right, dear? No. He was a soundtrack composer, uh, probably most famous for the Pink Panther theme. Oh, okay. They did a lot of that, kind of, a lot of stuff like that. And, um, and so, yeah, so I think Jack Gilfoy being involved is the reason why the drum sound is so, so very good, because it is a really great drum sound. But it, all of it sounds professional. Like, it's a really professional sounding production. And the band sound really great. Like, if I played this band for you and I said, these guys are 15, 16, 16 years old, you'd be like, what? Because I was when I discovered that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, like, well, I thought these guys were like in their 20s. No, no. These guys have been together a short time, but they rehearsed a lot. So they really they really had their stuff down. And let me know, people, if you like this. And and I will uh, send you a link to, to, to the to MP3s of the songs. Because uh, uh, Brad Garton, I guess he got permission from the other guys in the band. He just put up MP3s of, of the songs on a website and... You can just download them if you like them. I, I came I came to a, a more roundabout way, but when I was researching it yesterday, I found this I found this page that sort of giving a little history of the band, and then had the songs there in a downloadable fashion. And even though it was posted in 2013, they're still downloadable. So, so yeah, I highly uh, if you if you really if you like them, uh, there's other really good songs on the cool on the stuff. Okay, let's go to number three. Number three, Mary. This is the Holy Ghost Reception Committee number nine with their song Magnificat 70 from their second album, which is called Torchbearers, that came out in 1969. Here we go, everybody. Touch me with your gentleness that magnifies the 
and we're back and Mare yes I have a feeling that you if you didn't like Blind Eyes that you weren't that fond of this song either which is kind of a weird harmony kind of choral harmony piece with very kind of basic instrumentation and and it's more about it's more about like the lyrics and vocals and right so. so I said it was weird yeah. but not bad okay. <laughs> okay like I didn't think it was terrible yeah it yeah. wasn't my favorite oh, okay. but I didn't dislike it yeah yeah but it was weird yeah, and I kind of that's what I kind of like about it. Once again, like I'm, what I'm attracted to in this stuff is, is the you know the the out of the out of the out of the usual something that's a little bit weird and uh, 
And yeah, if it's not, I mean, that's just me. If it's not weird, it's not going to be interesting to me because I've already heard all the usual stuff. So I don't need to hear more usual stuff. I want to want people to like surprise me. And this song is is interesting. Magnificat, of course. The you know what the Magnificat is, Mary? It's uh, the song of Mary. It's a choral piece. It was done. I think it was done as a as a not as a cantata, but something like that. So it's like a composed piece that's performed in like churches and stuff. Okay. And it's usually done around Christmas because it's Mary's, it's from Luke, uh, the Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, where Mary talks, pray, prays anyway. And it's like her prayer to God, and so then that, that prayer was then put into into uh, it was music made into you know it was it was uh, what are it called put to music put to music is the word I'm looking for right. And music. Yeah, and so these these fellas, these young guys who were another group of high schoolers, who uh, this time they were they went to, in New York City. They went to a school called Regis Jesuit High School, and so they got together. They were all interested in music, like you know, rock music and stuff. And so they got together and began writing songs. And their hope was they could perform them at the church services to kind of alleviate the boredom of you know the monotony of the same mass every right. every Sunday. And so then they. They somehow convinced, I guess the kind of principal of the school, the dean of the school, who was a Jesuit father named Anthony Myers, and then the school administrators, they convinced them to support them. And the group even ended up with a, with a record contract with a Catholic record label called Paulist Press. And so they did two albums. The first one was called Songs for Liturgical Worship that came out in 1968, and then The Torchbearers in 1969, from which this song comes. I think it's pretty great. I really like the harmonies in it and it's, it's very it's done very simply they do more songs that are kind of more in like a garage rock style but to be honest with you i am like not a huge garage rock fan i think it's okay i'm much more into like pop music than i am into like kind of the fuzz tone kind of stuff but yeah i like it i like it well enough but but i prefer like this kind of the song because it's a bit bit on the weird side mm, weird yeah. side of the tracks you do like weird songs that's true hence this whole podcast <laughs> or so you say c colon this whole podcast there you go not this episode mm -hmm. the whole podcast like every episode all right mayor mm -hmm. you know except we... for the oh. episodes that i yep that have my mixes <laughs> those, are, those are fine yeah yeah those ones aren't weird i don't know about that may hmm? okay i don't know well you know you're pretty you have a lot of influence mm -hmm. from me and your, i don't know about that taste. i don't know about that you have you have a lot of me in you hmm. Hmm. no <laughs> doesn't sound uh doesn't sound right <laughs> So, okay, what's our next song? Our next song is some CanCon. This is uh, Laura Lee and Jana Lynn Stewart, two sisters. Okay. From London, Ontario. <gasps> from London, Ontario. Canada. Canada. Good old Canada. Never been there, but I've heard I've of heard it. good things about it. I haven't heard good things. I've heard that... I've just heard of it. I've heard that it's not a little, not even a little bit like London, England. Okay. Is Other that a good thing? Sure. Could be. All right. All uh, right. Uh, in this album... I hear, oops, I hear mostly neutral things about places in Ontario. Is that right? Yeah. Neutral? Like, I was... Uh, so we've been doing this thing at my work called Walk Across Canada. Yeah. Where everyone um, counts, how, like, all the team members and all the residents count how much they walk or exercise throughout the month of July. Yeah. And then um, we, like, track how many minutes and then convert it to kilometers and then try to make our way all, all the way across Canada. And... Um, we do a thing where we like, oh, we're in this town now. Here's some interesting facts about this town. And there's some some fun ones where like we went to one in BC and it had like the third most photographed site in all of Canada because it had this really beautiful waterfall. Okay. And 
there was a town in Saskatchewan that only had a population of 15 people. Mm. Um, and I was trying to look up fun facts what Hamilton. Okay. Nothing. <laughs> no interesting facts what Hamilton. Oh. They were like, we have some waterfalls. That's where the Tiger Cats are from. The CFL team. Uh, okay. Not interesting. The Tiger Cats. Not interesting. I ended up... That's interesting. No. I eventually ended up figuring out that it's where Tim Hortons started. Mm-hmm. It's where the first Tim Hortons was open, okay. so I put that down. Sure. But I also... I found that after like 20 minutes of reading all these different websites, I was like, oh my God, there's nothing interesting about Hamilton. <laughs> oh. And like, especially... Nothing... Not even the Hamilton website was had anything interesting nope. to say? Nothing. Um, it hmm. said, we are shut down because of COVID. The mayor wants everyone to stay inside. I was like... <laughs> um, but... Oh, I, I mean, there was something that was interesting to me, mm. which is that Eugene Levy was born there. Okay. As was another That's interesting. S- SCTV alum. Oh, really? I can't remember who. Can, do you want me to name names? No. Tony Rosado? Nope. Robin Duke? No. Was it a guy? It was a guy. Oh, Rick Moranis? No, I think he's from nope. Winnipeg. Dave Thomas? No. Martin Short? Yes. Oh, Martin Short. Yeah. Martin Short's a big name. Yeah, but, an SCTV alum. He's been done movies. Yeah, yeah, but the residents don't know Martin Short or Eugene Levy. That's true. They don't watch a lot of improv comedy. They watch a lot of uh, where where calls the heart. A lot of Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> a lot of uh, what else? Actually, one so resident like Heartland. Probably Heartland. Yeah. Anything that's like a little bit religiousy. Mm. You know. Whenever we have a musician in, I'll be like, "What did you think?" And they say, mm, "They didn't play enough enough." Uh, Christian songs. Oh, okay. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Note for him next time. Note for next time. They like Christian songs. That's right. Does I add, mean, like, all add of Christ or God to things. Yeah. And... Most of our residents have like a Mennonite background. Yeah. Which is like a very, uh, yeah, yeah. Very know. restrictive. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like a pretty, pretty, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty prohibitive religion. Yes. Yeah, very, yeah. Very conservative mm-hmm. in, in the things that you can like and the people you can interact with. Cause there's a Mennonite school, there's Mennonite elementary school and a Mennonite. Um, high school as well as Mennonite college yep. so a lot of a lot of them sort of go through life without ever interacting with anyone who's not Mennonite yeah yeah you know because yeah. you go to your you go to your church you go to your church school you go to your uh, youth group stuff all your friends are from one of those three places your husband that you marry at 18 is from there you go you either stay as a stay-at-home mom or you maybe go into work and if you go to work you will probably go to a place that is run by Mennonites and staffed mainly by Mennonites yep. so my work a lot of the staff are Mennonite hmm. a lot a lot like most of them we have a lot of we had there was at one point that there was three people there named Gertie which I think is a good uh, a good sign for there being a high Mennonite population <laughs> yes the German in origin so yeah uh, yeah they have to sign a contract when they turn of age. I don't know if that's 13, I think. Oh, really? They have to sign a contract pledging their faith in God and then okay. also vowing to follow the rules, which are, you know, no playing cards, no going to movies, mm. no dancing. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Because anything that takes your mind off of God is bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to get people to come out for bingo. Yeah. Um, even when we play chocolate bar bingo, which you don't have to gamble for, yeah. right? You just come and play and you win a mini chocolate bar. Yeah. If you win, and I will suggest that to people, and they will say, no, I'm a Christian. I'll say, okay, your call. <laughs> Just offering. Um, yeah. Interesting. I think of a non-gambling way to get chocolate bars to them. Oh, we've got a lot of ways to get chocolate bars to people. <laughs> oh, we, we do that. I go through chocolate bars pretty quickly. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right, so back to Laura Lee. 
and Jana Lynn in their little town. So they put in an album when, when they were teenagers called Have You Heard the News in 1972. So let's give a listen now to, to the song So Far To Go mm-hmm. from their album. This was written by Laura Lee Stewart, one of the girls.
All right, and we're back. Mm-hmm. We are back. Mary, what did you think of that song? I liked it. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, it was fun. It's fun. I mean, I like psychedelic rock. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's really psychedelic, but yeah, I mean, it's just no, kind of, yeah. I know it's... you're right, but like just general, I will. I mean, you know, it is. I call them psych, but really yeah. it's more like psych rock pop kind of thing. Yeah. yeah it's kind of. It, but yeah, it's it's not like Christian rock. Yeah. yeah it's it's not, definitely. This is not what you hear on the radio with the yeah. really regimented idea of what a Christian mm-hmm. rock song is and how it should sound and how it builds and how it yeah. has like the big swooping soaring parts to it so you can feel elevated mm-hmm. in your religiosity. Yeah. These songs are much more heartfelt and, and homemade yeah. feeling. And yeah, so like I said, it features Laura Lee Stewart, who was a, was an alto singer and mm-hmm. p- pianist, and then her sister who sang soprano, okay. Jana Lynn. And so the album is mostly, it's a mix of cover versions and then also original songs. So there's most of them written by Laura Lee, but one by Jana Lynn. Oh, cool. And then the album was recorded in London, Ontario at uh, a lady who was a pianist and organ player, played it in the ch- their church. And so they recorded her house. Her name was Sarah Sawatsky. So they recorded it in her house, engineered by this guy named Henry Schack, who was like a local engineer. And he had his own studios called Wonderland Studios because they were on a street called Wonderland in London, Ontario. And so and so he recorded uh, Laura's and Jana's vocals at his studios, at Wonderland Studios. And then the backing band was just another local group that were called the Revised Edition. And they were another kind of religious uh, gospel group kind of thing. Hmm. And so, yeah, I just, I just love this song. I think it's, I think really love the vocal mix of the two girls singing together. Just the way they, they blend their voices. I think it's really great. Yeah. Yeah, and totally. There's another, I've heard another song from it um, that I discovered on a, uh, this is kind of like a thing now. It's weird. It's not called Christian music, this kind of music. It's called Xian music. So like Xmas, but instead of Xmas, it's Xian. Yep. And that's how it's kind of denoted as to separate it from like boring, run of the mill. Right. Noodle soup. Christian yeah. music, this stuff is like the kind of weirder, more outre, gotcha. you know, homemade. Right. Like, would the welcome wagon fit into that, do I you think? I guess the welcome wagon would fit into it in a modern sense. And so would the Danielson family as okay, well. Okay, yep, yep. Who are a bunch of weirdos as yep. well. Uh, so acts associated with Sophia and Stevens. Yeah, they would certainly fit into the modern context. But in the older context of, like, a lot of people, like, especially women, like, there's a lot of women on... Um, like Judy Sill. Judy Sill would maybe fit into that, but she's not really Christian. She's kind of a kind of a weird yeah i mean syncretic I, thing of, i guess that there sort of has to be a certain percentage of your music is related to re- religion yeah, to, yeah. to quantify or qualify, qualify for, for that it, I that's mean. right and so yeah people like marge snyder who's on uh ladies of the canyon and there's a couple other ladies from ladies of the canyon who did very like overt christian music and, and stuff like that you know just because partly because that was their their background their growing up background yeah. and stuff like that and then also where they had support the, the support yeah. for them came through their church so you know ne- they sort of naturally wrote songs that could be played in church because mm-hmm. that was where they performed i mean it's like when we were talking about the soul groups mm-hmm. or when we were doing the soul mixes yeah and there was a lot of those artists had their um their first album sort of funded by their churches right yeah, yeah. um because yeah that's a, an important part of their their community right? yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also that they those communities love them. Mm-hmm. And so they're willing to support them. Yeah. That's another important part of it that mm-hmm. maybe people who never grew up in church don't realize how much the church family loves their members. Yeah. You know, and will support them through things like mm-hmm. that, you know. Like, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I mean, that or people who grew up in a, in a church um, that didn't have that, right? There are people who grew up in a church that didn't have that, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. That could be also. Yeah. Duncan's different... church was not. Oh, really? Like no, not oh. at all. Blech. Yeah. That's not fun. No. Whereas, yeah, our church is regularly given like like money to 
members who are like going on school you know, who are going on trips like school yep. trips and stuff like that mm-hmm. i've got money for to help them out with mm-hmm. their trips and things yeah people people have been struggling and there's been support yeah wasn't there somebody's house burned down or something a few, uh, a few son's years house ago. Burned, son's house burned yeah. down yeah and then there was like everyone everyone turned up with stuff they needed yeah gift cards were a big big thing mm-hmm. we, what we gave yeah it's an easy thing to give for someone oh, yeah. like that you know you need groceries and stuff so mm-hmm. here's here's a way to get some mm-hmm. yeah all right let's let us end with lettuce <laughs> lettuce and tomato let us end with um wilson mckinley okay this group is uh very interesting this song is basically live off the floor and you when you hear it you'll you'll be able to hear that it, that it is and it's a cover version of a moody blues song with the same title which is it's uh it's up to you only this version has had the lyrics altered to be about god rather than about love like the oh, okay. uh, like the, the moody blues one so let's give this a listen everyone this is wilson mckinley with it's up to you from their 1971 album spirit of elijah
And we're back. Mayor. Yes. What did you think of uh, It's Up To You? I thought it was a fun song. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. It's a good song. I mean, it's a good song by the Moody Blues as well. I actually think the song, I think this is a slightly better version. I think like the arrangement of it better than the Moody Blues one. I think uh, their singing is better and the lyrics are whatever, but uh, the this is a playing and stuff like that. So what's interesting to me about Wilson McKinley is they began their life as a psychedelic like a psych rock band. Oh, okay. But not a Christian rock band. Right. They're just a secular rock band just playing music and stuff like that. They got, became part of this label in the late 60s that what they did was they would do cover versions of songs as close as they could do to the original versions and then and then sell those records. In the late 60s, they... So, s- so they were the... Uh, oh, what's that company that makes like knockoff blockbusters? Oh, yeah. And they make like transmorphers or like... Yeah, I know who you Frigid. Mean. I can't remember the name now. Sort of frozen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they make like knockoff ones that are like cheaper quality versions that yeah, yeah. confused grandparents or aunts <laughs> or uncles will be like, oh, that's that movie they like. Guess I'll buy that for them. Yeah, yeah. Thrive in uh, Walmart gas stations. Yeah, they're horrible. Yep. They're just horrible movies. Mm-hmm. Not even funny. No, no. <laughs> just like ob- obvious cash grabs. I watched, a, I watched a Sherlock Holmes one that they made. Oh, yeah. And it was awful. Since yeah. it also involved a dinosaur. Yeah. In Victorian London. Mm-hmm. But the Victorian London the dinosaur was in was a, a model, was a museum, was a museum uh, display of like what a Victorian street would have looked like. And, oh, okay. Yeah. And they also had like a shipwreck sequence that was done on a, on a ship in a museum as well. Yeah. So they just like darkened the museum room and then mm-hmm. they just had like moving the camera around and having Oof. people run around. They tried to make it look like it was at sea. Oof. It did not look like it was at sea. No. Uh, yeah. So this, so this band was brought in and they recorded the fourth album in the series of of country rock covers as a band called the California Poppy Pickers. And so there, yeah, there was four albums of songs of this kind of stuff. And then, uh, so they went from that. And then one day in 1970, they're just walking down the street mm-hmm. and they happened upon a meeting of this group called the Voice of, Eli- the Voice of Elijah's Jesus People. That's what, they, that's what the uh, group was called. Okay. And they were a Christian sect, obviously. And three members of the band joined. One member said, uh, this is insane and I'm not going to join. But the other guys were like, what? What are you talking about? This is great. This is the greatest thing ever. This is exactly what we're looking for. Yeah. He's like, uh, no, thanks. And so he left the band and then they had to bring in a different bass player. Uh, so like I say, this, this song comes from the group's second album. Uh, I didn't say that. Second album. But this comes for their second album called The, vo- uh, called, uh, the Voice of Elijah. Is that what I said? Yes. Voice of Elijah. Spirit of Elijah. Oh, and um, was clo- We were close. We were close. But it, the, the first album, actually, Mary, was a live album that was recorded here in Vancouver. At, here in Vancouver? At the Pender Auditorium, which is something I didn't even know existed before. But there was once a Pender Auditorium here huh. in Vancouver before it was torn down so they could build more houses. Yeah. Like I say, this this is live. The album was made in one night. The Spirit of Elijah was recorded in one night. It was done without any overdubs or editing. They just started playing. And then that was song was in the can. If they got through the song without mistakes, I guess, then the song was in the can. Okay, so there we go, Mare. So, do you have any final thoughts about psych rock Christian songs? Mm, overall, pretty good, yeah. generally. Um, I definitely didn't like that first one. Yeah. I didn't like parts of some of them, like that one that was kind of weird, but not bad. Yeah. Um, but overall, pretty fun. Oh, good, good. Yeah. All right. Well, since I thought it'd be I fair. Think, oh, Oops, sorry. sorry. I do think that there is something about Christian music that makes me kind of uncomfortable, though. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Huh. I think it's just because, like, I don't know, a lot of it is, like, sort of, the like, the ideas in it, like, like it's, they're, they're usually, Christian music is usually played in a, uh, 
Like when I hear it playing, I'm usually like, oh, now I have to deal with this, right? Because it's usually like someone's playing it for you. Yeah. And you're like, oh, great. Now like this is something I have to be a part of. Um, so I think there is something in me that where I hear people saying about, you know, Christianity and yeah. God not in a uh, in a church setting yeah. or not being sung by Sophia and Stevens. I'm kind of like, ugh. Um, but. Fair enough. Yeah. They're probably not much different. Luckily, I don't listen to the lyrics very much. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that helps. All right. So I figured it was only fair if we did top five Christian psych songs. Right. That our next songs were top five songs about Satan. Well, yeah, that only makes sense. Yeah. I'm all about equal opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, balanced reporting and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, if I have like one person who's like talking about climate change, I have to have another person who's, you know, for climate change. Right. Yeah, for climate change. It's true. You're not, people aren't, Yeah. Uh, people aren't, uh, like, people, you don't not believe in climate change. You are pro-climate change. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, like, oh, I am, uh, I'm pro, um, pro uh, vaccines. Sure. Or you are pro death, child yeah. death. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's start off with our first song then, Mary. This mm-hmm. is, this is a British band called Black Widow. And their 1970 song from their album, Sacrifice. Sacrifice. This is Come to the Sabbat. Okay. Not with an H. No. Just with a T. Come to the Sabbat. Yes. So here we go, everyone. This is Black Widow. Sabbath. 
come to the Sabbath, Satan's there. Come, come, come to the Sabbath, come to the Sabbath, Satan's there. Come, come, come to the Sabbath, come to the Sabbath, Satan's there. Come, come, come to the Sabbath, come to the Sabbath, Satan's there. Come, come, come to the Sabbath, come to the Sabbath, Satan's there. Come, come, come to the Sabbath, come to the Sabbath, Satan's there. Come, come, come to the Sabbath, come to the Sabbath, Satan's there. Were you scared by that song? Uh, I was not scared. Oh. I was definitely put off by it. <laughs> I found it to be a very off-putting song. Why? It's just not a song that you listen to and you're like, mm, yes, this is good. Something that you're listening to and you're like, I don't like this. <laughs> this sounds bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, it's just kind of a weird... It's just a weird song. This is very weird. Obviously, for whatever reason, this was very popular in the end of the 70s. And... Or sorry, beginning of the seventies, late late sixties, early seventies, and uh, kind of tapping into the same comic book occultism that Black Sabbath were also mm, mining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Black Sabbath were. I get, well, I wouldn't say they're more subtle. They're also like Hammer Horror style occultism, but but unfortunately for me, they didn't. They don't. Uh, I was the song I could think of where they were just like Satan. They didn't really say that name, so they have like Sabbath, Buddy Sabbath, and stuff. You right. Know, and NIB, but nothing like that's like. That's so okay. like I think of that said Satan. Maybe I have another. I have another question for sure, you. Sure. You are calling this songs about the devil. Should it instead be called songs that say Satan? Oh, sorry, songs about Satan. It says. Or yeah, songs about Satan. Yeah. So, but specific, not just songs like about Satan. It has to say Satan. Mm, not necessarily. Okay. Not necessarily, but I I would prefer that they have Satan in the title of the song. Okay. 
or Satan mentioned in the lyrics. Right, but not the devil. Not the devil, no. Not Lucifer. Nope, those are different songs. I couldn't put Osmatanche's Ave Lucifer. As much right. as I love that song, but, that's not on but here. But why? I couldn't put The Devil Has All the Best Tunes on here. But why? Yeah, it's a different list. But it's not, though. That's a list of devil songs. But the Satan, devil... Satan is different than the devil. No. Yeah. The devil is Satan. I know, but they're different in kind. Mm. Like, songs about the devil mm-hmm. are more kind of carefree. Right. Like a song that says the devil has all the best tunes. Yeah. It's not going to have a song called Come to the Sabbat. Right. So like... like, like that's a different sort of feeling to it. What you're going for is like, uh, is like pre-satanic panic um, yeah, yeah. songs that are designed specifically to to scare parents. Yeah, or even post... That, yeah, even post... Yeah, or like during... Not necessarily that, but also just songs like... There's, we're going to have some religious songs that are mm-hmm. about Satan. Yeah. We're going to have like a self-pitying song about Satan. Right. We're going to have just a really creepy song about Satan. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to have some different like moods going on here. Gotcha. But I just wanted it to have Satan because I feel like Satan more than the devil, mm-hmm. more than Lucifer is mm-hmm. like the scary name people use. Like mm-hmm. if someone's talking about, if someone just says the devil, yeah. you're like, well, yeah, whatever. Deviled mm-hmm. ham. Sure. You know, deviled eggs. Right. This means minced. Yeah. But what about Satan? Right. Now you're like, ooh, Satan, that's mm. that's a real name. Mm-hmm. You're naming the thing Lucifer now. is also a real name. But it's not as scary to me. Why not? I don't know, maybe because there's a stupid TV show about a, a mystery-solving devil called Lucifer. Is there? Which is really corny. Yeah. So he's that's corned to the name of it, corned up the name Lucifer. Yeah. There's no TV show called Satan about a mystery-solving Satan, right? Well, there is, though. It's called Lucifer. But it's, he's not called Satan in it, though. He's called Lucifer. But maybe he is in some episodes That's at some point. I don't know. I don't know. Because I feel like if you go there, you're in a different place. Right. Or if you say Lucifer, it's fine. Mm. Lucifer is one, one thing. Okay. You know, in Supernatural, yeah. they definitely called the devil by all, all of those names. Sure they did. But that's a different show. A different different subject matter. This is not top five Supernatural songs, Mary. Mm. Okay. This is five versions of... Uh, carry the, on my wayward son. Carry on my wayward son, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of the name of it. I was kind of had dust in the wind in my mind. No, yeah, you got to have all the songs from the TV show Supernatural, which yeah. is Carry On My Wayward Son. Yeah. Uh, Eye of the Tiger. Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> the one in that one episode. Okay. Um, you should make your own top five. I know. I just rewatched the first five of, five seasons of Supernatural, too. I should be able to do that. Oh, you didn't watch all of them? Didn't watch the season 16? I, no, I did not. I watched the first episode of season six and okay. was like, eh. <laughs> and I was, rem- I was reminded that... This is sorry. This is this is gonna be a quick um, aside. A quick aside. I was reminded that Sarah Gamble makes a good episode of Supernatural. She writes a really good episode of Supernatural. Yeah. She was a really good episode writer. Yeah. Really good um, producer, I imagine, because she ended up getting a producing credit and then becoming the. Well, anyone who writes gets a production credit if they don't write on that episode. Oh, okay. So you'll get a lot of people, a lot of producers, because what they are, they're the people who they are. They're being. Like, as writing for TV shows like that is a committee writing mm, thing. Mm-hmm. So they all contribute to the scripts. Right. Is this one person gets the name like put on it? Like, heads it? Yeah. 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 I imagine they probably come up with a concept or something. Mm-hmm. Or something. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, it's... I know that that show for the first five seasons, too, had a whole, um, uh, um, what is it? Like Not like fact checking, but like a team who would make sure that they weren't... Um, uh, contradicting their own yeah lore. contradicting yeah. their own lore exactly yeah. yeah like doing like saying like oh uh now we can kill demons with this other thing too now we can kill them with limes it's like <laughs> well it's like well, you can never do that now like if you're gonna you can't just be like oh uh we can do it now you yeah, know yeah, yeah. or like oh we can kill them with iron but not to not this episode though or whatever yeah yeah or like oh it's actually steel 
Like, no, it's not. Come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I was reminded, you know, she writes a really good episode. Yeah. But. Not a great showrunner. No, not a great showrunner. And it's like, I get it. Like, it's not, it's absolutely not her fault. You know, like Eric Kripke decided to step down yeah. because he did what he wanted to do. He wanted to make five seasons of a really good show and he yeah. did that. And then he was like, okay, peace out. And then she was like, oh, now I have like a totally different job. Right. Well, they could have stopped the show at that point. Well, no, they could have, but it was making a lot of money and had yeah. a lot of fans. So yeah. of course they're not going to. Let's be realistic. But I think she, more than Eric Kripke, she shows one of the problems with kind of shows is when you let fans rate shows. Mm, yeah. You end up with the problem, which, which is... Castiel. Ugh. Yeah, like too much fan service. Yeah. A misunderstanding of what the core of the show is. Mm-hmm. You know, because you, you like the obscure corners of it. You don't like the, the central part of it as much yeah. as ever, as the people who are coming to it do because mm-hmm. you you've already you've been there already you don't need it anymore yeah you, you want to explore these little nooks and crannies mm-hmm. and people are like no we want like the core part of the show which is sam and dean hunting down monsters and you're like oh we've been doing that for five years yeah we want like a big overarching story with big monster monsters yeah. and yeah and like you know eric kripke i mean i'm not saying it was like a perfect show yeah but i feel like he created a really good um it was like entertaining yeah. it was fun and the season arcs were good and they were they didn't overpower the show as well. Mm-hmm. Right? Like every episode, like you would have like the first episode of the season and like the last three and maybe like one or two in the middle. Yeah. Would be about the over like about the arc. And every episode you would have like five minutes, five yeah. to ten minutes of the episode about the arc at the beginning and the end. Yeah. And maybe like a couple conversations throughout the story where they were like Sam, I think we should deal with this thing. And Sam would say, Dean, I know what I'm doing. And then storm off or whatever, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah. you know, that moodiness that, yeah. that the that the girl fans love. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> the shirtless moodiness. The shirtless moodiness. They, they're not shirtless a lot. They're, they are rather be-shirted. They they usually are wearing three or four shirts. You're right. They are you know? a lot of layers. They're wearing shirt. like a t-shirt and then also a flannel and then also a Carhartt jacket. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, there's, yeah. Then things like, uh, sorry, folks, we're, we really should start our own supernatural sidecast. But um, the other problem to me is like, so the season ends, spoiler, season season five ends, kills Castiel, mm-hmm. kills Bobby, mm-hmm. kills, uh, sounds Sam. dragged to, to hell. Yeah. And Dean wanders off back into a, a real life. And you feel like that's a really great yeah, end he, of the story. And like when the show, and the other thing is when the show begins, Dean is all about hunting, yeah. right? Like he's like, this is the family business. Yeah. This is what we were raised to do. This is what dad raised us to do. And Sam has like run off to college and like abandoned them because yeah. he wants to be like a normal person and have a, a normal life. Yeah. And he gets dragged back into it against his wishes, right? Yeah. And by the time you get to the end of the show, five years later, they flipped, right? And Dean is like, maybe this isn't everything. Maybe there is a life outside of this. Maybe I should... Um, yeah. You know, try to pursue a relationship with this woman yeah. who I'd had a relationship with. And she has a son that I get along with really well, who I'm really similar to and who I might be the dad of probably. And and Sam is kind of like, you know, he's kind of flipped, right? Like he's grown a lot in that time and he sort of realized like, this is what I was made to do, yeah. you know? And he ends well, up... Well, none of that. He's sort of the chosen one. He's the chosen one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what I was... This is what I was made to do, yeah. right? Like yeah. this is what I was born for. Yeah. Like this had been... You know, they try to be shown this many times too, right? But like, this is, this is, this was always going to be the ending. Yeah. And, um, and it was, and he sort of accepted that and ended. And then they were like, uh, 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 we want the show to continue. So then Cassiel got brought back and brought back Bobby. 
and then which was so dumb because both of their deaths were really great because they yeah. sacrificed themselves yeah. for the for the sake of the earth yes and sam sacrifices himself for the mm-hmm. sake of humanity and dean is left to kind of pick up the pieces from of that yeah but then yeah they bring them back and so then bobby's in the show for like two more seasons and they just kill him in like the most arbitrary, yeah. stupid way, and it's not even like an important way to die. And it's no. just like, and then the other why thing would you is, bring back this character just to kill him in like a like two off years the cuff? later? Yeah. And like the other thing is, Bobby decides to stick around as a ghost, which he would never do. Yeah. Right, yeah. because like all that Bobby's ever wanted to do is be with his wife again. Yeah, yeah. Right, so like when he had the chance to die, he's not going to stick around <laughs> because a he knows what happens to ghosts, yeah. which in the show is ghosts stick around because they have unfinished business and then their loved ones die and they yeah it corrupts them being dead um corrupts them and they turn evil right and he knows that that would happen to him yeah and but he's like no i guess i'll just stick around for a while rather than (laughs) going to be with my wife who i love and who i like whatever so dumb um no and i mean like there's definitely good episodes after sure. season five, right? Mistake. Like the French mistake is fantastic. Like there's really good, fun, like meta episodes. The the musical version, the music, the high school musical. I never saw that one. Oh, you didn't see that one? No, it was like after I stopped watch watching it. it. Yeah, watch I know, I know. What you got to do actually is you need to watch the next seven episodes, seven seasons mm-hmm. or eight seasons, whatever it is. Uh, I believe seasons. it's. 11. Le- 11 seasons, sorry. You need to watch the le- next 11 yeah. seasons. And then just tell me what episodes are good to watch Ugh. so that I can watch them. I mean, it did Thanks. take me like a Thanks month. Thanks for doing that. It did take me like a month or like five weeks to watch the first five seasons. So I guess it'll only take me, what, 11 more weeks to watch the next? Although that's only if Duncan is away for as long as he's been away for, which, you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for doing that for me. Appreciate it. Yeah. No, that sounds like a good use of my time. All right. I don't know if we played this song. Come, Do we play Come to the Sabbat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Okay. Yeah, remember Sorry. we came back. I said it was weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we talked about supernatural for I don't remember why. <laughs> oh, because oh yeah, because we were talking about the names of the devil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like why? I, I still don't understand why Satan versus devil versus Lucifer. I think, I think, I think it's all the same. I think they're different. Okay, I disagree. I think they're different, and then it also limits your song choices. Hmm. Makes it more laser precision. Right. Song choices. I guess that's fair. All right, next song. I guess you couldn't do a top ten. That's impossible. <laughs> exactly. So let's let's go to our next song, right? This is the Bonzo Dog Duda Band. Okay. And their song Eleven Mustachio Daughters from their album The Donut in Granny's Greenhouse, which I didn't know, but is a reference to an outhouse. Oh, okay. From nineteen sixty eight. This is uh their album closer, mm-hmm. which is like a kind of a weird album, but obviously it's silly. It's the Bonzo Dog Duda Band. They have a lot of funny songs in there. They have can blue men sing the whites. They have um beautiful Zelda, they have a a fun kind of doo-woppy song called the called Kama Sutra. Kama, Kama, Kama Sutra with me. Oh, yeah. They have a, like, you know, the usual kind of Bonzo stuff. And then they end with this really weird song, which apparently was a... Um... Wait, sorry. The Bonzo Dog Duda Band had a weird song? Yeah, I know. Okay, sorry. But it's sort of weird to, weirder than the usual weirdness, right? This song is kind of, is very strange. So let's listen to I Love a Mustachio Daughters, everyone. Here we go. Mustachio daughters running in a field of fat. The 
full moon high, the mandrake screams, please come to our sabbat. The changing children shiver round the fire, their mothers dance with strangely painted faces that smile but never laugh. We're back, and Mary, what's good about continuing with this song after after uh, come to the Sabbat is that um, Vistanchel also mentions the Sabbat in the song as well. Oh, does he? Uh, running in a field of fat, please come to our Sabbat. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So, what did you think of Eleven Mustachio Daughters? Uh, I also thought it was weird and off-putting. <laughs> that's that's sort of what I wanted from these songs. Okay, well, I wanted congratulations, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's the essence of Satan is to be weird and off-putting, you know. Right. Like, I don't want these songs to be like fun. Mm. I want them to be off-putting and mm-hmm. strange. Like yeah. that's that's the nature of it. I I couldn't find it for all the songs, but Right. You want you want uh you want to end up with a a bunch of innocent people in prison. Yeah. What does that mean? 
the satanic pattern satanic panic oh yeah yeah that's right yeah like mm. all right so let's go into our third song mm-hmm. and we don't have much to say about bonzos are great yeah we know about the bonzos everyone yeah. knows the bonzos 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 yeah so let's go on to um our next song that's what okay. i was trying to think of that's the word i was looking for next song. Yeah. this is the leuven brothers so we're gonna get a little country now mm-hmm. a little country with uh, satan lied to me okay i could have gone with satan is real mm-hmm. which is from their album satan is real which is a great album has a great album cover it's them kind of by this big kind of like pile of i don't know dirt or whatever and then there's like this big plywood cutout of satan standing okay. above them yeah satan is real this satan isn't real this is just a plywood cutout i guess i don't know Maybe. yeah Seems kind of weird to say Satan is real and then have a plywood cut out of Satan. <laughs> uh, but this is from their album, their 1956 album, sorry, The Family Who Prays. Okay. Uh, and so let's give a listen to Satan Lie to Me. Satan lied to me, Satan lied to me, when he said he'd be my friend, all I'd ever need, Satan My soul astray Said I didn't need to pray And he'd pat me on the back When I would agree Told me I would lose my friends That my fun in life would end Now I'll tell you how I learned Satan lied to me Satan lied to me Satan lied to me When he said he'd be my friend All I'd ever need Satan lied to me church house where I'd planned to meet a friend one night to go on a party. I got there early and when it started to rain, I decided to wait inside. The service had started and when they would sing, pray, or preach, Satan kept saying, now this is no place for you and the things they're saying are not true. Just when I was about to leave, the invitation was given. As the preacher raised his hands and asked us all to stand and sing And then I don't know where I fell And I don't know how long I prayed But when God raised me from that little bench I knew that Satan had lied to me Satan lied to me, Satan lied to me When he said he'd be my friend, all I'd ever need Satan lied to me, Satan lied to me, he told me I was satisfied, Satan lied to me. And we're back. Mary, what did you think of Satan Lied to Me? I thought it was a silly song, but pretty fun. Silly song. It's pretty silly. <laughs> the spoken part in it? Very common in, in this sort of music of the yeah. time period. What's funny about when I when I first listened to the Leuven Brothers, I was like, oh, so this is where Ed Sanders of the Fugs got his material from. I get it because okay. this whole this whole kind of thing of like the mid song uh, vocal testimony, which I always thought was a weird thing in the in the in the fugs. I, it wasn't until I started listening to like music like this that I went, "Oh, that's where it comes from. That's that's what they're going for." Is this idea of you know, friends? I'm here to tell you a story all about my whatever. Yeah. yeah. 
in the Fugs case, it's a silliness. Right. The Belle of Avenue A, mm. you know, but it's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so the Lubin brothers were actually, the Lubin brothers were actually the stage name of Lonnie, who went by Ira, Ira Lubin, and Charlie Loudermilk. Okay. So they changed their name from Loudermilk to Lubin. Mm-hmm. And they perform secular music as well as gospel music that we'll call fire and brimstone gospel music. Right. That reflected their Baptist faith. So the music is very, you know, the the religious music they sang came out of very strict religion. It was very strict upbringing. Uh, saying that, however, Charlie Leuven was a notorious womanizer and drunkard who had a terrible temper and who was married four times. His hmm. third wife shot him four times Oof. in the chest and two times in the hand. Wow. Which he survived. Well, and went on to marry someone else. It's exactly right. Uh, which uh, uh, he was trying to strangle her with a telephone cord, so her, so she shot him, and um, she, when she discovered that he was still alive, she said, "I'm going to shoot him again." Hmm. So, yeah. Um, that uh, brings to mind a, a line from Community, where Pierce Hawthorne says that he's been married seven times and he doesn't know what he keeps doing wrong. To which Jeff says, "You keep getting married." <laughs> It's Pierce. That's uh, Chevy Chase's yeah. kid, right? Okay, you can't get married. That that is a problem. So yeah, so uh, Satan is a like I said, Satan is a recurring character in their song. He's in quite a few of their their songs because you can't have fire and brimstone without Satan manning the fire and brimstone. Someone has mm-hmm. to stoke the coals, mm-hmm. and that someone is Satan because he has a pitchfork. Yeah. Okay, song number four, Mayor. I said we we're gonna have a song that's self-pitying. Okay. This is Morrissey. Okay. Yep. With uh, Satan has rejected my soul. Hmm. From his 1997 album, Maladjusted. Let's give it a listen.
we're back. What do you think of that summer? I thought it was fun. <laughs> you enjoyed, well, you, you like Morrissey. So. I do like Morrissey. I mean, I like some of his stuff, you know? Yeah. Some of his independent stuff and obviously all of the Smiths. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, you just feel like some of his his solo stuff is good. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I'm more, all of his solo stuff is good and mm-hmm. all of the Smiths are good as well. Yeah. That's where I fall. That's fair. I fall in the no filter for Morrissey mm. school of, of thought. Yeah. Actually, I'm just joking because I think this album is okay. It's from uh, Maladjusted, and I think it's a so-so album. Um, I think he tried to change too much what he was doing. Like it came after Vauxhall and I was re- would, did very well for him, mm-hmm. and then he did Southpaw Grammar, which for some reason did not do as well for him. Although mm. that is a great, great album. It is a great album. But I think that he kind of got spooked by that, and he kind of changed what he was trying to do a well. little bit. He also changed producers, I believe. I don't think Steve Lillywhite produced this album. I could look and tell you for sure, but I can't remember now for absolute positive. But I think, uh, yeah, I think he kind of got spooked by the by the fact that Seth Park Grammer didn't do as well. He changed changed styles a little bit, and I think this album's a little bit dull. I guess is the word I'd use for it. It's not okay. It doesn't have as like as many great tunes on it as as the last two albums. And so yeah, it's but I enjoyed this song. It's it's upbeat, peppy, and it has the word Satan in it. And that's what all I that's what all I required for a song to be on my top five list of songs about Satan. All right. Let's head to number five, Mary. Mm-hmm. Song and is... again, I would like to clarify, yeah. not songs about Satan, but just songs that say Satan. Sure. Well, you mean that they don't, like, they're not stories about him? No, I just mean you that, know, like... You want to know, like, how he, how he went to school, how his school life was when he was growing up? And No, I just, I mean that, like, Born in the help it when he was just three. Your, yeah. um, one of your, what, mandates for yeah. this yeah. is that it has to say Satan. Yeah. Right? Oh, okay. So why don't you just say that rather than songs about <laughs> Satan? Which could be songs about the devil or Lucifer or Satan. Okay. Songs that say Satan. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Top five songs that say Satan. This is uh, The Butthole Surfers. Okay. This is a song I love very dearly. Mm-hmm. This is Sweat Loaf. Okay. From their 1987 album, Locust Abortion Technicians. Okay. And uh, let's give it a listen, everyone. All right. Here we go. Start slow and then it goes. I'm going to put it that way for you. Mm-hmm. So here we go, everyone. thing about regret is that it's better to regret something you have done than to regret something you haven't done. And by the way, if you see your mom this weekend, would you be sure and tell her, Satan! Satan! Satan!
All right, we're back from mm-hmm. listening to the Butthole Surfer's Sweat Loaf, mm-hmm. stealing its riff from a Black Sabbath song called Sweet Leaf. Oh, okay. Not an absolute steal, but a very reminiscent. Right. If you listen to Sweet Leaf, you'd go, ah, I see. I see where you got the name and I the sound. See, I see you got the name and I got right here. We got the sound. Yeah. Uh, partly the sound. The sound is very treated. By this point, the band were using a lot of um, techniques like delay and uh, sampling and stuff like that to, you could hear like the things repeating and, and little bits of, of, it's almost like cut and paste, but done done on the fly. So uh, Gibby Haynes, the singer in the band, had a, a rack of stuff he called Gibbytronics. And they were like a couple of Digitech time machine, they were called. And they were these delays, but they had like a long delay to them. Mm-hmm. So you could sing something like say Satan. Right. And then it would it would it would have that in its memory and then you could just start putting that in a loop and repeating that oh, over okay. and over again. And then you could do laughter. Right. And then you could put that into it. And mm-hmm. then he also they also had a sampler in it. And so with a sampler he could then sample those things and then he could slow them down and speed them up while okay. he, while he was all, still doing the song. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was very kind of uh, I saw them we saw them live I think. You remember when I saw them in 1987 together. They played at the the at uh, I think at the Love Affair here or maybe it was at Graceland. I think it was a love affair. They played the love affair and we saw them there. And at that time they had two drummers and they would play like surgical footage behind them as they were playing. So it'd be like all this footage of like, you know, people being cut open in scalpels, doing operations on close-ups of organs and things like that. And then they would be projected on them as, as they played. An interesting thing about the butthole surfers to me that I didn't realize, I've been a fan of them for a long time. I really liked the Shaw Sleeps and Lee Harvey Oswald's Grave, which was a song they did on their first EP I never bought it because in those days I had no money, but it came out on Alternative Tentacles, the Dead Kennedys label. I didn't realize, though, that, that both Gibby Haynes and the guitar player in the group, Paul, Leer- Paul Leary, who are good friends, they went to Texas University together, or a university in Texas together. And Gibby Haynes was a star basketball player at this university okay, and graduated as an accountant. He graduated in accounting and he actually had a job as an accountant. And Paul Leary was still finishing up school. But then they started doing this little kind of fanzine together, which was images of of uh, surgeries. Just continue with, continue with their surgery theme. They would do like have pictures of surgeries and then they would have like fake descriptions of what the surgery was or what the disease was. And so that was like a fanzine they put out. And I guess Gibby had brought one to work and it was found and he got in trouble for it. So he, just, he quit his job, moved to California and then decided he's going to be in a band. So yeah, it's kind of a... a a real volt face from accounting. Yeah, definitely. To go from being an accountant, which probably had a pretty good job, pretty good pay scale, uh, to be spending the rest of his career in probably not that much money. They did have like a hit song one time, mm-hmm. a song called Pepper, on one of their later, later albums. I kind of stopped listening to them by that point. But but uh, yeah, they had a later song called Pepper, which was like a, they had a hit video, they were on MTV and stuff like that. So they must have got some money from that. But up to I that mean, point, it was very... Very hard life. They was yeah. just like touring in a van all the time. They uh, they don't have a great name. No. I think that I think that if you I think that if you as, as a band yeah. have a name that people don't want to say, <laughs> it's gonna make it hard to succeed. Oh, I've never not wanted to say butthole surfers. Mm. So what did you think of the song though, Mary? Oh, um, I thought whoop, I thought it was fun. Yeah. I think was my version of it weird or is there 15 seconds of silence before the song starts well it just has a very slow start where it's like the strings slowly build up okay i couldn't hear any of that yeah because you're driving probably so so that part of it is obscured so it was like 15 seconds of silence and then 
like talking. Yeah. I was like, what? And then the song started and I was like, okay, this is fun. <laughs> but I was like, what's, what's up with this beginning though? Yeah. 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 It's a much, it's a much harder, like more, more grinding song than they would had done up to that point. Their songs tend to be more kind of, they're still really like weird songs and stuff like that. You know, their, their album before this one was called Rembrandt Pussy Horse. So you can't expect that to be like normal. Yeah. But they were, they wasn't quite as like heavy guitar sounding as this as this some of the songs in this album and and uh yeah but it's uh to me it's a great song i don't know people might disagree and i think it it sums up it gets through our satan top five perfectly well because if another song that kind of makes you uncomfortable and makes you feel kind of queasy right with all the weird sped up songs and the gibberish happening in and stuff like that it's pretty sure. good pretty good pretty great all right well i when i first saw your topic for this top five yeah i had had a suggestion okay but it doesn't actually work because it's not a song that says Satan. It's just a song about Satan slash the devil slash Lucifer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you don't think we should uh, use it? I mean, we can, but it doesn't really fit your... Uh, my, my criteria. Your criteria, yeah. I'm sorry, Mary. That's okay. But I invite you to make your own top five. For... Of songs about the devil? If you want. I don't have that many songs for the devil. I have one oh. that I suggest, that I was going to suggest. Oh, I could throw some in. Some songs with the devil? Yeah. Some more songs about the devil or yeah. songs about Satan? Songs about the devil. Oh, okay, sure. Let's do one of those and then I'll throw mine in. Okay. I'll throw my hat in the ring. <laughs> sure. Okay. So let's move on then to our last final list. All right. And are we doing the full... We're doing the full list. Okay. So yeah, it's going to be a little long, but it's, but we'll try, and, we'll try and speed through it Yeah, as I mean, much as we can. Yes. Sounds good. So everyone, we're not going to have any breaks to talk about Supernatural. We promise. What? We can't swear to it. But we're making a promise. I mean, we're not talking about the devil slash Satan slash Lucifer anymore. That's right. So, um, you know. So my idea for this list of songs was the top five obscure, hmm. more obscure yes. prog songs. Uh-huh. So there's the main prog bands, right, Mare? There's Yes, obviously. Yes. You agree or are you just repeating the name of the band? Both. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Mm-hmm. King Crimson. Mm-hmm. Genesis, I guess, to a degree. Okay. Although I think they're better well known in their post-prog period than they sure. are for their actual proginess. I had another one in mind when I started this list. Yes, King Crimson. I'm just thinking Palmer. Ah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. There's well-known ones. Sure. That everyone's heard. You just listed them. I just listed many of them. King Crimson, a band I've heard of many times. Is that right? No. I first heard of it today, just now, when you said, there are many well-known prog rock bands, including this band you've never heard of before. <laughs> oh, sorry. But they are pretty well-known... Within prog circles, right? Okay. Like if you say, if you say, I'm kind of interested in prog music, what should I listen to? Someone's going to go, well, you should listen to Yes. You should definitely listen to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. You should definitely listen to, sorry, I'm getting a weird buzz in my ears. I think it's just my, my headphones. You should definitely listen to Yes. You should definitely listen to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. You should definitely listen to King Crimson. They may even say, they might say Genesis, but I kind of doubt it. I doubt they would say Genesis because most people associate Genesis with the later Phil Collins led trio that did a lot of pop pop rock hits in were you the... gonna say 10cc no which according to wikipedia is a prog rock band they have prog rock elements to them but i wouldn't i wouldn't think of them as a prog rock we're gonna say air no we're gonna say dot 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 and you will know us by the trail of the dead that's a more modern group no i wasn't gonna say any of those groups but let's let's not let's not uh just list. we're just looking through a list of of prog rock bands let's talk about these bands right on this list here because these are ones that i like like air i think they're so so all right so let's listen to let's start off Let's start off with a Finnish band. Uh, this band's called Wigwam. What are you shaking your head at? That was a bad joke. It's a good joke. 
Yes. This is a band called Wigwam. Yes, Wigwam. Uh, and this is... And they're from Finland? Yeah, they're from Finland. Okay, this is their song, Fairyport. Okay. From the album of the same name, from 1971. Let's give it a listen, everybody.
For the most part, I tried to find short songs by these groups. I didn't want to like throw the 14-minute songs in here. I just wanted like songs that I liked and songs that. Uh... And so, what do you think of wig? Uh, what do you think of wigwam? Um. Well, two things. One, why would a Finnish band call themselves wigwam? Why not? They're before that they were called blues section. Okay. Is this like a wigwam is like a specifically North American thing? Yeah, but people in Europe love North America. It's true. They love America. It's true. And people in Europe especially love Native Americans. That's true. There used to be like Still. essentially circuses in Germany and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was like a cup, like they had like their Boy Scouts kind of yeah. things there. They were all based around Indian lore. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, obviously like mytholo- mytho- mythological imported, imported ideas of what yeah. they were. But still, they really admired them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that that's would be an example of that, I think. Okay. And also, it's a good that's name. Interesting. Wigwam. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Okay. But I thought it was too long. Okay. Six minutes. Six minutes. Almost is, seven minutes, I guess. Almost seven minutes is too long for a song, I think. Hmm. Well, then prog rock is not for you, my dear. No, I One of the... I, uh, <laughs> I do not. I agree with that. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert. Spoiler but I would alert. agree with that. <laughs> because, yeah, one of the... One of the defining characteristics... One of the defining characteristics of, of prog rock is the length of the songs. So it's partly... It's partly like the musicianship was a big part of it. Mm. So it required a lot of of chops, a lot of musician right. musicianly abilities to play prog rock. That was an important part of it. To play I, 12 straight minutes of a song. I think that, yeah, but also in sections, you know, that were nece- didn't necessarily all have the same time signatures. And, and then, but there are also different strains of, of prog rock. So you would have like prog rock that came out of folk music. Okay. And then you could have prog rock that came, kind of had jazz as a, as in a, as its background, which is what I kind of what I sort of naturally uh, lean towards in my in my interest in, in Prague, and then and uh, and then you'd have ones that and then of course classical elements as well were a really important part of it. So those were all like Emerson, Lake and Palmer more than any other band I think really sum that up. You know, like they actually like per- performed like a rock version of Mussorgsky's pictures at an, at an exhibition. So they're actually doing like an actual sym- symphonic work as a as a prog rock con- as a prog rock piece, right? Hmm. So you know a, a certain gr- a certain to a degree a certain pomposity is part of it, a, a bigness of sound, mm-hmm. a, you know, kind of an ambitious element to the music. But I don't think that's in every case that is. There can also be small songs, small kind of very personalized songs. But I think, but I kind of think prog rock is something that it's kind of like you'll know it when you hear it, you know? Right. 
So sometimes people will say, well, that's prog rock. And then you listen and you go, well, I don't know if that really fits. Or you can have music that people aren't identifying as prog rock. Say they're saying, oh, this is folk music. And then you listen to it and you go, you know what? This is prog rock that you're thinking is folk music. So yeah, so so that's Wigwam. I, I, Wigwam falls into a, a style of prog rock, which is called the Canterbury scene. Okay. And that was related to a, uh, an area that in Canterbury, obviously, mm-hmm. that, that a bunch of musicians that kind of grew up in that area who had a particular kind of sound mm-hmm. to their music and then were adopted by groups as far away as Finland. Mm-hmm. There was Super Sister from Holland mm-hmm. who were very much influenced by the Canterbury sound. And then the bands themselves from that scene that kind of grew out of this group called the Wildflowers okay. and then became the Soft Machine and Caravan and mm-hmm. Camel or all these kind of groups that grew out of like the, the local prog, prog scene okay. in Canterbury. And it really, they, they existed before there was such a thing as prog rock. Prog rock kind of grew out of how they started playing their songs and they started stretching out the music and playing longer and longer songs. Right. So this is a band uh, called Stackridge. Stackridge. And this song is a B-side. Okay. Of a seven-inch single for a song from 1971 called Dora, the Female Explorer. When did this come out? 1971. Huh. Weird, isn't it? Yeah, it is weird. And this song, though, is called Everyman. And this is from this is the B-side of, of Dora the Explorer. So let's give a listen to this song. Here we go, everyone. Bye. 
All right, so we're back from that was uh, that was Stackridge mm-hmm. with Every Man and Mary. What do you think of that song? Um, I liked parts of it. Okay, but overall, way too long. Why? Why are these songs so long? <laughs> it's just, not too long. They're though. way too long. It's not too long because it's got like different sections to it. So they just make a different song. It starts with you know the the you know the arpeggiated pluck mm-hmm. part of the song. Yep. You know, ding, ding, and then and then we have like the the flute come in with the with the strings. Mm-hmm. And that's like a little beautiful part. And then, then the singing starts. Yep. And it's totally different than what was happening before. And then you have the singing part of the song. And then it starts into the, 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 just the vocalist or the wordless vocals start up. And then it starts to build up a different song. And then, of course, it has that magical part that I love so much, which is the, the build, the slow build. It has the, all the instrumentation being added mm-hmm. to it, you know. And so, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's great. And I, it doesn't feel long to me at all. It just feels just maybe a little too short, in my opinion. Mm, nope. You're wrong. <laughs> All right, all right. So, well, if you thought those songs were too long, then I imagine that you think this next song mm-hmm. is way too long. Okay. Let's listen to Egg. This is Egg. Egg. From their their third album, The Civil Surface, uh, from 1974. Uh, and this song is called Ring Out the Ground, bracket, loosely now, end bracket. And uh, let's give it a listen. Let's hear it. Ring
All right, we're back, Mary. Yes. What did you think of the terribly named egg? I didn't like it. You didn't like the song? No. It felt like a jam band. <laughs> um, also, I have a confession. Yeah. Which is that with these songs, yeah. I kind of felt like once I got the gist of them, I skipped them. <laughs> what? Because they're so long. But you can't skip them because there are different parts to them. Then just make a different song. <laughs> Why do you have to have eight different songs in one song and make it be 20 minutes long? That's prog rock. I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's prog rock for you. I don't like it. Hmm. Egg became Egg because they were originally called Uriel. So wait, sorry, this is Uriel, the band's name? Yeah. What's egg. the song called? Egg is, the song the song's called Ring Out, uh, Ring Out the Ground. Oh, okay. okay. Bracket loosely now, end bracket. Wait. And like I say, it right. came out uh, in their office, or sorry, on their album, The Civil Surface, which is kind of a punny title, the same as their second album, which is called The Polite Force. Hmm. Get it? Yep, I get it. I went, hmm. <laughs> Which I don't I don't think that that was the um, I don't think they expect you to roll around on the I ground I don't think that was the reaction that they were hoping for But it's the one that they got I don't think they were expecting you to roll around on the no, ground No, but I think that they were expecting a bit more Yeah, yeah Well, interesting thing about this group is that Well, you'll you'll believe this Is that they their albums didn't do very well when they put What? <laughs> These guys? Egg? You mean a band named Egg didn't sell very well? You mean a band named Egg that made songs that were 80 minutes long? And had like lasers going pew 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 at the end. <laughs> that those guys, their albums didn't do well. In the middle, oh. Mary. Oh, sorry, in the middle. <laughs> oh, I forgot that you didn't listen all the way to the end. Yeah, you skipped most of the song. <laughs> really responsible. <laughs> Thanks for contributing to the show. I get ah, it. Good enough. Throw CDs at the window. I understood what it what was going on with no, it, you and didn't. I, I knew how I felt about it. You just it. only listened to the first section of a of a three section song, or possibly four section. How many song. minutes is that song? Eight eleven. Eight minutes, 11 seconds. That's yeah. nothing. I listened to like three minutes of it and That's was like, nothing. I'm good. The song Supper's Ready by Genesis is 28 minutes long. And I wouldn't listen to it. But you would. No. I would force you to. I'd lock no. you in the car. No. I'd put it on when we're driving somewhere. I would turn it off. I would skip the song. <laughs> you wouldn't I would, be allowed to in the back seat. I would, <laughs> I would be on my phone not paying attention. Well, that's that's the that's the truth, yeah. truth right there. Because Mary knows that she wouldn't be allowed to touch my, the car radio when I'm, when I'm in the car. Well, I've never, yeah, never wanted to. You're enjoying it. <laughs> I can, you know, not pay attention to it for a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, they're named Egg because their original name was Uriel. Uriel? Uriel? How do you say that name? Uriel? After the Uriel? angel? After the angel, yeah. Um, they played in a band with this guitarist whose name was Steve Hillage. And then he left and it was, they're down to a three-piece. And then their management company, they said, you guys should change your name to Egg because Uriel sounds too much like urinal. Smart. <laughs> Which is smart. Change your name to Egg? No, we're not changing your name to Egg, but changing your name away from a name that sounds like urinal. Okay. Okay. So you think that was smart. So then, yeah, like I say, I know you couldn't believe it, but their first album did not sell. Their first two albums didn't sell mm-hmm. hot, like hotcakes. Yep. And then they had enough material for a third album, but they just could not get a record deal yeah. to do it. So then... I mean, that's sad. Yeah. You know, they liked what they were doing. Then the keyboard player uh, signed with this group called Hatfield and the North, a sign I believe you've seen. Hatfield in the north? Yeah. It sounds you, familiar. If you drive in England, when you go north, when you're going up to oh, Scotland, yeah. there's a road sign road sign that says Hatfield. Mm-hmm. I guess there's a city called Hatfield yeah. on the journey. And then it says Hatfield and the north. It's like a very general description yeah. of the rest of England. Yes. And Scotland. I like that. It's. I mean, it's not the same, but it's like when you are in Vancouver, yeah. all signs that point east say hope. Yeah. Like, that's as far as you can go. Yeah, Everything yeah. after hope is just, like, some sort of, like, big amalgamous wasteland. Yeah, we all know that. It's beyond hope. Yeah. 
That's why it's called that. That's true. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah, but then he, so he signed with Hatfield and Earth, and then uh, I guess he was able to use that to convince Virgin Records, who he signed to, to, to f- fund a final album for Egg, and that became The Civil Surface, which the song was from. But you were not happy to hear that song, so let us move on. We can move on to the next song, which is what? This is uh, Pete Brown in Piblocto with a uh, exclamation mark. Pete okay. Brown in Piblocto. Piblocto. I like the idea of him walking into a room and everyone's like, Piblocto. <laughs> so let's give it a listen to the song Broken Magic. This was a B-side to a different song. And I'll tell you what that song was when we get back. All right? Here we go. Okay.
All right, Mary, so that was Pete Brown and Peblocto. Uh, what did you think of that? It was fine. Oh, you like this one? It was fine. Even though it was seven minutes long. It was fine. It was too long. <laughs> I didn't think it was very exciting. <laughs> uh, yes, this was a B-side. It was B-side to a song called Can't Get Off of the Planet um, that came out in uh, 1970, 1970, I guess. Yeah, he... Uh, Pete Brown's sort of an interesting character, Mary. He was a published poet when he was 14, got published in the Evergreen Review, which was a very, uh, I think it's still around, it's still a very respectable uh, creative writing journal from America. Then he formed the first real poetry band, it was called, which actually featured a rather popular or well-known guitar player named John McLaughlin. I wouldn't call him popular, but he's well-known, which then brought him to the attention of the rock trio Cream that was made up of Eric Clapton, Jack Bruce, and Ginger Baker. And so he was originally brought in as in as a writing partner with the drummer, Ginger Baker. But it was actually with the, the bassist, Jack Bruce, that he had the most success. They really clicked together. And they wrote several big hits, including uh, I Feel Free, White Room, a song called Swalabr, S-W-L-A-B-R. I don't know what it means. And then, um, and even, and Sunshine of Your Love as well. So after Cream broke up, partly because of Jack Bruce and uh, Pete Brown, because they were like... Sp- writing all the hits mm-hmm. and making uh, Ginger Baker and, and Eric Clapton really jealous. So so the band broke up. And so then he provided Bruce with lyrics for his solo albums. And then in 1968, Brown formed Pete Brown and his Battered Ornaments. And they put out two albums, one called A Meal You Can Shake Hands With in the Dark, and another called Mantelpiece. Mm-hmm. And then he had, I think, rather humiliating thing happen, Mary. Mm. The day before his band were going to open for the Rolling Stones at their famous Hyde Park concert. Wow, yes. It was a free concert they put on in Hyde Park. Yeah, was uh, became a became sort of a, mo- a memorial for Brian Jones, okay. who had died, and so they uh, Mick Jagger read some per- uh, Shelley, and then they released a bunch of butterflies or birds or something. They released something and you know to fly away, and but before the day before that concert, Pete Brown was thrown out of his own band Oof. by his band. Oof. Later, his vocals were removed from the album Mantelpiece and re-recorded by the band guitarist Chris Spedding. So that's a little sad. And so he formed a band called Piblocto in 1969. And that's where this song comes from. And Mary, did you know that what Piblocto means? It's no. A, it's an Inuit word. Okay. For Arctic hysteria. Oh, okay. It's a condition uh, which includes hysteria, screaming, and mm-hmm. uncontrolled wild behavior, as well as depression and echolalia. Echolalia? Yeah, it's where repeating words. Oh, okay. Or just speaking in nonsense words. Yeah. I like that um, then you would have a word for that. Yeah. That's also interesting because that's two prog rock bands yep. now with um, were with names that are indigenous words. Oh, yeah. Wigwam yeah. and Poblocto. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait. Sorry. Where was Poblocto from? From England. Okay. Yeah. The, well, the other thing about Wigwam is that the singer was, was American, or not American, it was British. He was an expat who had moved to, had gone, traveled to Finland in in 65. Oh, okay. And just ended up getting so many offers to sing with bands there because they really wanted like a person who spoke English singing for the bands. Right. They just kind of ended up having a long career there. And he was in a group called the Blues Section who were like kind of a seminal Finnish group. And then when that band broke up, he spent some time learning to play piano. And then, so he taught himself to play piano and then he ended up going back and becoming a singer with Wigwam. So kind of fun. All right. So Mary, this is the last of our top five. This is Caravan, another, this is another Canterbury group, a real Canterbury group, unlike, unlike Wigwam, who are Canterbury just in terms of like their instrumentation and their, and their influences. Caravan actually were from the Canterbury area. Cool. And 
every member of this band played in the seminal Canterbury group, the Wildflowers, not at the same time, but they all at one, one point or another were a member of this group. Um, and so that kind of makes them part of the, the really like beginnings of the whole, whole Canterbury scene. This is Caravan from their third album, In the Land of the Grey and Pink, from 1971. This is the title song, In the Land of the Grey and Pink. Okay. So here we go, everyone. grey and pink where only boy scouts stop to think they'll be coming back again those nasty grumbly grimblies and they're climbing down your chimney yes they're trying to get in come to take your money isn't it a sin they're so thin there's black buckets in the sky your dad in the red Cigarettes burn bright tonight They'll all get washed down the drain So we sail away for just one day To the land where the buckwheat grows You won't need any money just fingers and your toes And when it's dark our boat will park On the land of warm and green And pick our fill of punk weed And smoke it till we bleed This all we'll need While sailing back in morning light We'll wash our teeth in the sea And when the day gets really bright to see drinking
the pub we close Won't need any money Just fingers and your toes And when it's dark our boat will park On a land of warm and green Pick our fill of punk weed And smoke it till we bleed That's all we'll need There's black buckets in the sky Don't leave your dad in the rain Cigarettes burn bright tonight They'll all get washed down the drain Mare, we're back. I was I was playing this for Mare during the break and trying to convince her how great it was. And she said, I was playing her like this, this the, the piano solo part, and I was just like, Isn't this great, Mary? And she's like shrugging. It's so good, though. It's so good. So, um, what is your review of this song, Mary? Eve and I were driving around yesterday as yeah. we were listening to this. Yeah. And I think it was at this point that I was like, Dad makes a really good playlist, but I don't know what happens when he, make top, when he makes top five. <laughs> lists like is this like a flip a switch you know and eve said and i quote yeah i'm not vibing with it (laughs) well i mean part partly i i wouldn't think too much of putting uh prog rock on on mixes because the songs are too long for me to to consider putting it putting on a mix like i I did put a reading like i put like a nine minute song on on uh, one mixtape but that was because the person had three mixtapes so i felt like one nine minute song you know it's not, right. not gonna kill them there yeah you know? but but mostly i try to avoid putting on really long songs mm-hmm. early weird songs about satan that go <laughs> yeah that's just for fun right like this top fives are for fun no i know like i'm this is not like no one has to listen to this no, i'm not sending it to anybody i know when i make a mixtape for someone i really i'm hoping they'll like it i know i know i probably am wrong no, they'll probably like it. But and top fives are different. Yeah, they're thematic, mm-hmm. and then just for fun, mm-hmm. you know. And they just get put all kinds of stuff in there. And I'm not worried about repeating more artists. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about. I'm not thinking like oh, everyone knows who Leonard Skinner is. Why would I put Leonard Skinner on a right? You know, it's more like for fun. Mm-hmm. I think it's been fun. Mm-hmm. I guess you didn't have fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> jury's, jury's you didn't like out. this song. You didn't like the song at all. No, I didn't. Wow. I didn't like it. I, I realized I don't like prog rock. I, I never had an opinion on prog rock before, and now I know definitively I don't like it. So thank you for helping me come to that realization. I, I guess I guess I, I guess I did a service. Yeah. I guess I did a service. Now if someone says, Mary, what are your opinions on prog rock? I can say, I don't like it. And they can say, hey, do you want to hear some prog rock? And I'll say, no. I know I don't like it. Okay, Mare. Yes? Okay. Do you have one more song? Or I have we... one more song. Well, okay. I kind of... I tried to avoid making too many top sixes here, mm-hmm. but this song has been talked about on Sneaky Dragon a little a little while ago, and I just wanted to play it here just so people would hear it, you know, hear it for sure, hear it. And so um, this is uh, this is Genesis, and the song is Stagnation. This is from their second album, which is called uh, Trespass, and it's kind of like it's kind of the last album. Well, it's the last album with with the original guitar player Anthony Phillips, and it was the only album they did with this with the drummer whose name, I think his last name was Mayhew, 
and he just did the one album with them. He was kind of he was kind of unlike the rest. Of, the rest of the band went to public school. They went to Charterhouse School, okay, in England, which is like you know a six hundred year old school built on you know royal pro- royal lands and all the right. rest of that kind of and stuff. Is and is not public. It's a private it's, school. Well, it, yeah, that's right. It's not really public. It's very expensive to go to. It's parents who are very well off sent their children to these schools. Mm-hmm. You know, what are, to wait, make what are, to make them well off. Yes. What are what are like regular schools called in England again? I think grammar schools. Right, grammar schools. Or, yeah. But yeah, grammar schools is one name. And then there's another name for a school there. that Comprehensive. That's what it is. Comprehensive. Oh, okay. So yeah, Genesis was formed by, by Peter Gabriel, to, uh, Tony Banks, Mike Rutherford, Anthony Phillips, and a guy named Chris Stewart, who played the drums. And they were all, they all went to Charterhouse together. They, they played in bands in Charterhouse, not necessarily the same bands. They're kind of broken up between two different bands, a band called Anon and another band called Garden Wall. And then when... When those bands broke up, two of them, Rutherford and Phillips, kept writing together. And then they decided they were going to do some demos. And so then they invited Gabriel, who was a singer, Tony Banks, who was a keyboard player, and and um, Chris Stewart, the drummer, to, to play with, to, to help with them with the demo. So they recorded some songs. And then they there was a guy who was like a BBC presenter. He'd also had a hit song called Let's Go to the Moon, named Jonathan King. And he was a former student of Charterhouse. He was an old Charterhousian, or whatever they call him there. He liked what they were doing, so then he offered to, he offered to produce them, and he would put them out on on I guess on his label. I'm not sure about that part of it. So then he put out an album. that's kind of not really proggy. It's more like short short songs and stuff like that. And then he he called the he he actually named the band as well. He named them Genesis. And then he wanted to call he wanted to call the album from Genesis to Revelation. Mm-hmm. But then there was an objection from the U.S. label that there already was a Genesis in America and they wanted the band to change their name. Oh, okay. But they refused to. Right. So then he had to take their name off of the album. Mm-hmm. So the record just said from Genesis to Revelation. Okay. And so a lot of record stores just filed it into their religious record section. Oh. And so it didn't get much attention that yeah. way. And so it wasn't really a hit. This album wasn't a hit not either. This, I think it's still kind of, it's still them kind of learning their craft and stuff like that. But once again, it's part of, that's part of why I like it so much. It's It's because of their... They just don't know it all yet. They're just they're not professionals yet. They're just still kind of learning their craft. They're still kind of figuring it out. And so the clumsiness of some of the parts of the songs appeal to me. But I think this is a really great song. This song is called Stagnation uh, from Trespass. And let's give it a listen, everybody. It's uh, it's a really good song, I think. So give it your all. Give it your all with your ears. Here we go.
Okay, we're back, everybody. That was uh, Genesis with Stagnation. And once again, I was trying to <laughs> trying to make plead my case to Mary here, mm-hmm. but she is, she is as hard as a rock on this whole progressive rock thing. I think this one is the best of the other songs. Okay, okay. It has... Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the beta band. Mm. I like the beta band. Okay. So, you know. I wonder if the beta band would be, some of their songs would be considered prog rock. I don't think that's a, a very accurate way to describe them, but. No. I wonder if people would want, want to lump them into that. Maybe. People like, uh, people like lumping bands into categories. <laughs> it's Especially true. weird bands like the beta band. It's true. It's true. Oh, wait, okay. Well, you thought this was the best song. That's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, um, inexperience went into this song, you know, mm. they, but you do get like some wonderful parts. The twelve string guitars are great. Uh, I love Peter Gabriel's uh, vocals in it. The Tony Tony Banks, you know, keyboard part, especially the the first part after this, what I call the singing saw part with the mellotron playing, <laughs> this is fantastic. And then and then the end where you get some real like typical Peter Gabriel like shouty parts where he he sings really loud and kind of really lets it go. That's fantastic. Right. Very typical typical sound of Peter Gabriel. And then one thing they did was they they think they put on like ten acoustic guitars. When they were recording, but they realized that all they did was just cancel each other out. So it was really like kind of useless labor. It's one of the things you live and learn, I guess, is the... They said the producer was really against them, like, overdubbing and stuff. And maybe because maybe they got carried away with it, as I think why. He wasn't like against overdubbing as a rule, but just in this case, this band who, like, couldn't resist, like, adding more and more stuff. Because it sounds so good coming through, through the really good speakers in it, like the monitor speakers in a studio. And then when you go into, like, the real world, a lot of that... It's lost because not, no one else has speakers as good as the speakers in a studio. Yeah. It's very rare that we have like, you know, that kind of like really good monitor speakers, unless you're a crazy audiophile. Yeah. And most of us are. Most of us just have pretty good audio equipment. Mm-hmm. And even then you have to be like a, probably a, a, a audiophile that has money to burn. <laughs> well, I guess that's audiophiles. Yeah. There you go. All right, everyone. Well, there we go. That was our first part of our, we have a few more songs for our second part of our top five top five songs but if you want to participate and send in some of your top five songs i'd love i'd love for you to do that feel free to send them or or if you or if you want to uh, send like a suggestion for a for a a theme for for top five songs that Mm -hmm. also would be good and you can send those to sneaky d at sneaky dragon.com or uh and you can comment on a on the episode post on sneaky dragon.com or you can contact us on Facebook at Sneaky Dragon or on Twitter at Sneaky underscore Dragon. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. So just so everyone knows, so next next top fives will be top five songs about green people, top five songs about drowning, top five songs about mountains. I think that's what I've got left. And so I'll have to, I'll have to do a few more songs for the next, or at least one more set of songs. So yeah, so if you have ideas, set them in. I'd love, I'd love to do another one of these shows as well. So, so yeah, if you have like a theme you'd like to send in. The reason I do this is because quite often... I'll be like listening to a song. Let's say I'm listening to Prince's Mountains. And then I'll be like, oh, yeah, so-and-so has a song about mountains. Oh, interesting. I'll be like, oh, yeah. And then there's a song about mountains as well. Huh. And then I'll just start writing them down. Mm-hmm. And then next thing I know, I have like a whole new thing of top fives. Yeah. It's always fun to do. Mm-hmm. I make them all the time. Cool. So there you go, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's show mm-hmm. or this bi-week's show. We'll be back in a little while with our next episode. I believe we'll be back in two weeks. Well, I don't want to make promises I can't keep. Yeah. Oh, also, this is coming out on Canada Day, isn't it? No, it's coming out Thursday, as usual. I thought they came out on Wednesday. No, I can never get them finished in time. Oh. I always come out on Thursday morning. Okay. Well, it's coming out the day after Canada Day. Yeah. Happy Canada Day. I mean, to be honest with you, I have no excuse for them not to come out on uh, Wednesday now, because I don't have choir on Tuesdays. 
but it's fine if Thursdays is when you've been doing it. Yeah, that, it's kind of it's kind of fit on the. Yep. It'll come out the day after Canada Day. That's okay. right. July second. AKA one, nothing. We had one bit of CanCon on this episode. Who? Oh, right, right, right. Yes, I remember. Laura Lee and Jana Lee, yes. Jana, Jana Lynn Stewart. Yep. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to this fantastic show that we do every couple weeks. Yeah. I'm really selling it short now. Yep. It's falling apart in front of my yep. eyes. All right, everyone. Bye. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Hi everyone and welcome to s- What? This sounds weird. Why? I don't know. Sounds weird. Okay, oh, start again. Okay. You sure that you that's not the start? <laughs> Hi, welcome to sn- <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Alright. Hi everyone and welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And it still sounds weird.